There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into a very special edition of the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network from our HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly, the HomeLoanExpert.com. And uh, today's show is a special show. And we decided to do this because, you know, usually on our, our Wednesday or Thursday, our midweek show, uh, we'll do questions from the audience for kind of a special feature. Last week did it with Jay Randolph Jr. with the Masters, and we'll continue to do it. I love doing it, and certainly it's it's been well-received. Um, but coming up in a matter of a handful of days, five days to be exact, we will have the inaugural Joe Strauss Memorial Golf Tournament. And as we approach this event, which as a major tip of the cap to the listeners, we have sold out 36 foursomes for a golf tournament in St. Louis that's taking place on April 16th, and the weather has just been dreadful uh, in the area. For those of you who are listening from outside of the St. Louis area, it's just been terrible. Those of you in the St. Louis area know it's just been gray and rainy. And so people aren't necessarily thinking golf just yet in the St. Louis area, but you had 36 foursome sign up at $150 a golfer, $600 a foursome, because people wanted to uh, pay homage to a, a guy. I think that when it gets down to it, people really really miss and that's because the void that joe strauss's passing left has not been and will not be filled Uh, i think we knew it at the time i think we feel it even more uh now that it's now that it's been a, a bit and and so with all of that said as we get ready for this golf tournament uh john seymour executive producer of this program said he thought it would be a great thing uh, to put some of the audio that he was assembling for Joe's daughter, Alexis, for the golf tournament out for the podcast. Because anytime we play a Strauss segment, I don't know how many times we'll get either social media posts or emails or something. Man, I really miss him and I forgot how good he was. And I just loved the way the discussions were so in depth and and people challenged each other. And, and so with all of that said, um, that's what we're going to give to you here uh, today, and a lot of it, as a matter of fact. So so included in this are some calls into the Ryan Kelly morning after. He certainly would spar with us, in particular with uh, the cat. I think he went with Doug here and there. Uh, he, 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 would, he would challenge things that were just kind of accepted in St. Louis, and I liked that. Um, and also, you know, when we started CBS Sports 920 in... 2013, um, I knew I wanted to have Joe Strauss do a show. I knew that. And um, I contacted him, and I said, who would you like to have as your co-host? And he said, well, I know he's had a couple shots at radio in St. Louis, and it hasn't really worked out, but I think the two of us bring something out of each other that other people usually don't bring out of us. 
and that's Brian Burwell. So I would really like to work with Brian Burwell. And I had no idea that that was the direction he was going to go, nor did I know at the time how close they were. Uh, the obvious analogy um, is Michael Wilbon and, and Tony Kornheiser for Joe Strauss and Brian Burwell. But here's kind of my behind-the-scenes peek at this. A lot of people, when we announced our lineup, were like, what are you doing putting Joe Strauss on? Or what are you doing putting Brian Burwell on? But then after a week or two, people were emailing a lot of people, which doesn't happen all that often these days, were acknowledging that they were wrong. But the thing that I kept hearing about that show, and I loved that show, was Charlie Marlowe, Joe Strauss, and Brian Burwell, was that I don't know why, but when they're together, I love hearing them, whereas when they're apart, sometimes they drive me up the wall. I don't know how many times I got that email or Facebook message or tweet, and and that's the thing about it. Uh, now, I, I liked both guys as it was, but together they had this great chemistry that I think softened some of the edges that made some people not like them when they were writing or broadcasting on their own. So in other words, they made each other better. And that show, Middle Relief, uh, was a great show and had uh, Charlie been able to do Afternoon Drive. It's the kind of show that, for my money, uh, could have been an Afternoon Drive show in St. Louis for years. Of course, unfortunately, Brian Burwell passed away. Uh, and and then a year later, his very good friend Joe Strauss passed away in what is as tragic of a story as it gets in St. Louis sports media. Uh, with two great friends um, dying within a year of each other. And uh, when we talked about Joe Strauss's passing at his memorial service, that was one of the things that Alexis and I really wanted to drive home, how close he and Brian were. And so you'll sense that. Uh, you won't sense it. You'll flat out hear it in these clips from Middle Relief with, with Charlie Marlowe. Uh, also interacting, Brian Ray, who is now the voice of the uh, Austin Stars uh, hockey team, uh, the Dallas Stars minor league affiliate, and um, and just clips of Joe being Joe Strauss, which is what made so many people want to listen to him, even if they didn't like what he had to say. So Alexis Strauss for the golf tournament asked John Seymour to put together some audio that can be playing, and we thought after Seymour had put all of this together that it would be something that many of you would enjoy listening to, uh, essentially a walk down memory lane as we... Uh, get ready for the inaugural Joe Strauss Golf Tournament at Westboro Country Club on Monday, April 16th. So that's what we have for you today, and I have a feeling you're going to enjoy listening to it. want to make sure I, I drive home this point as well, that without our sponsors, we're not able to do this. And Ryan Kelly and the HomeLoanExpert.com team, the sponsor of the studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. If you're in the market to, to refinance or if you're in the market to buy a home, it's it's really this simple in 2018. Just go to the com. and then type in, whether it be, or your click, actually not even typing in, refinance or purchase. And then you can enter your numbers and get an idea of what your payments would look like. And then somebody from Ryan Kelly's team is going to talk to you and help you through the process. I'm actually looking at it right now, uh, doing it for myself right now. Now, my sister did it. Uh, a couple of years ago, I sent her there, I sent friends there, and I certainly will send our listeners there. And I don't hesitate to do so because I know you're going to get quality work. And five minutes could save you $500. Why wouldn't you do it? It's all online at thehomeloanexpert.com. That's Ryan Kelly and the thehomeloanexpert.com team, the sponsor of the studios here 
on the Tim McKernan Show. So, as I said, laying it out for you, we have a, a very special edition of the program here for you today. Joe Strauss, a walk down memory lane with some classic clips from his time on the Ryan Kelly Morning After and also Middle Relief here on the Tim McKernan Show. Combined, they have been covering sports for more than 75 years. They've seen it all. They've covered it all. And now they're going to talk about it all. It's Middle Relief with St. Louis Post-Dispatch columnist Joe Strauss and Brian Burwell, along with Fox 2's Charlie Marlowe. Okie dokie, cokie it dokie. And it starts now on CBS Sports 920 and InsideSTL.com. We just did the fist bumps there. The first ever edition of Middle Relief here on CBS Sports Radio 920 AM and InsideSTL.com. I am the aforementioned Charlie Marlowe. And when you hear that open there, 75 years of reporting experience. I only have nine years. So that means my cohorts here, Brian Burwell and Joe Strauss, columnist with the Post-Dispatch. You guys have been around the block a time or two. What I'm trying to say is that you guys are old. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You pointed out and, and noticed the age thing. Right. To me, the first thing I noticed was, why in the heck did they put his name before mine? Come on. What are you doing? This is Credibility Radio, Brian. Let's go. Oh, my God. We're going to have to redo the, the open right away. Is that going to be an issue, though? Because I, I did so. read, I, I heard some of the promos, and some of them have your name first, some of them have Joe's name first, some of them have my name first. I'm fine with being just a, a complimentary part of this of this team. I, I, I am well known for my ego, which matches the, my hat size, so I, I'm going to insist that my name is first. You have a Barry Bond size hat size. So and I didn't need any roids to get there either. That's what true. is it, you about an eight? Yeah, at eight least. and three eighths? At least. This is, again, Middle Relief. Every uh, day, Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 here on CBS Sports Radio, 920 a.m. Big time guest list today. We're not always going to have so many guests, but we figure the first couple days we have this two-day week. Let's bring in a lot of people, get a lot of opinions. So we have John Mosellock, Cardinals general manager, coming up. Jim Cruz, the head coach of SLU basketball. Danny Mack with a segment that Joe Strauss has, has created called the Rights Holder Macarena. Joe, do you want to describe it? We've heard it before if you've listened to the morning after, but what exactly is the, the goal of the Rights Holder Macarena? No, just basically get people who are close to the team, who's, who works for an affiliate that has the rights to a team, and get them on to have, a, have an up-close take. And sometimes their take will be a little different than ours, but uh, we just want let people to know that these are folks who are paid to follow the team, and they're, they're not, as Tim McKernan would call, the random rights holder. These are or the random writer, they're the random rights holder. And uh, that's what we're going to play off of. And Danny Mack seems to be the perfect embodiment of it. And uh, he can be irreverent. He can be honest. Uh, he can be self-deprecating. He can rip us. So he's the perfect guy today. Actually, what he really wants to say is that the Macarena is all about making fun of the sooft toss that uh, that rights right. holders bring as opposed to well, that, Joe that'll be raised. That will be raised on a case-by-case basis if yeah. it arises. So, uh, we, you know, there are other segments. We'll have an Our Town segment at some point. Uh, we'll explain that later. But uh, they'll be interesting. We're going to have fun with Our Town. There'll be some interesting drops as we go, but these first two days are going to be more personality-driven with some of the local sports scene, and perhaps they've been looking forward to this show perhaps they're dreading it but we want to get their take on uh you know what what they're expecting or what they're dreading and uh, we'll we'll start finding out here in a couple minutes from mo yeah and i think the fun part about this show number one is it's a pretty nice diverse group we've got old guys young guys 
handsome guys, me. Uh, we've we've got smart guys, me. Uh, we've got knowledgeable guys, me. Uh, we've got you know we have a lot of a real mixture, and you guys add something to the table too. And I'm that impressive. is what when I get Youth? tired of talking, Bigger? you guys can pick it up. Charles, you do control the mute button, so feel free to use it appropriately. <laughs> the problem is this is our first show, obviously, and there probably will be some kinks to work out. So if I have the mute button, I actually don't know where it is. So yeah. that's good for you on day one. Uh, you know, Frank had a great show, but I did hear there were some, some mix-ups with calls, with uh, hanging up on people. So hopefully we don't hang up on the general manager of the Cardinals, who will be our first guest. I'm sure he's... He's honored uh, to, to have that honor. Uh, we mentioned Mosaic Cruz, Danny Matt, Ken Hitchcock, the head coach of the Blues, coming up in the 1 o'clock hour, Doug Gottlieb of CBS Sports, and our Rams insider, Jim Thomas. It's a big post-dispatch show. I'm kind of the outsider. All kinds of post-dispatch guests, along with you two fine columnists. Yeah, and when we start to take calls, people can feel free and uh, regale us or compliment us or kill us about what we write or the content of the section. I mean, in some ways, this is a... Uh, Proxy for the for the post dispatch, and that's that's our handle. We're columnists yeah. there, but uh, we can take the good with the bad, and we'll we'll give we'll give some back. We'll give the good with the bad back. The first the first rule of this show: you don't have to like us, but you can't be boring. If you're boring, you're gone, right, Brian? Thank you very much. We we in fact, you know, I believe that Doug Vaughn suspends people. He does. Right? Two days time. Yeah. One day time. Sometimes. If you're boring, we will. Ban your butt, all right? And it, and it for life. For like Pete Rose. Yeah, we will not be like Major, Major League Baseball. We will ban you. There are lifetime bans at stake. So when you come on, come on strong. Do not be weak. And, and don't be stupid. We can we can deal with We're gonna insults. We can deal with insults. We can deal with, with criticism. Just don't be stupid. Yeah, and so, and get to the point. You know, run north and south. None of this east and west stuff. This, uh, you know, hit the hole and move on and, uh, and bring it. I feel like I've heard that hit the hole before yeah. on a different radio <laughs> show. Maybe Brian Burrow was a part of that. Yes, indeed. And uh, if you want to get a hold of the show, many ways to do so. We have the Ryan Kelly phone lines, 314-880-0808. And if you're out of the market area, one 920 The Appliance Discounters email. We are giving away an email of the day prize. Maybe we'll change the name of that, but it's Appliance Discounters, our fine sponsor. And the email is middlerelief at insidestl.com. Our Twitter handles at Middle Relief 920, at Charlie Marlowe underscore, at Joe Strauss, at Real B Burwell, and our text line is 38822. So again, Cardinals GM John Mosellock going to join us here shortly. And before the show, Brian, you were talking about how I guess maybe the radio gods, you said, kind of put this thing on a tee. We don't want to see the Cardinals with a seven-game losing streak, but it sure is talkable when they have one. All kinds of stuff going on. You have Riley Cooper's comments. You have A-Rod. But here locally, the Cardinals, what do you make of what they're doing right now or not doing? Well, you know what? I, I think for me, and I'm not, the, I'm not the advanced metric guy. I am not the inside baseball guy. I don't, you know, when you cut me, I don't bleed baseball for me, I just look at this team, and I know they're a very talented team, and it perplexes me how all the bats go silent at the same time. But I am also very, very concerned about Yadier Molina and, and, and how long Yadier's going to be out. That's the thing that, that, that concerns me greatly. I know they picked a very bad time to have a really horrible offensive slump, um, and it remains to be seen. We've got a long summer. 
this team is too good to to continue to play like this, aren't they, Joe? Well, yes, and and in a way, you look at the National League, which puts five teams in the postseason, just as the American League does, and the National League is doing a very good imitation of the NBA this year, whereas any team 500 or over has an outstanding chance of getting into the postseason. There are six teams currently at 500 or over. Five will qualify. The Cardinals have a significant cushion. Yes, they're playing poorly now. It looks bad. They're not hitting but they're a postseason team. You know, it, it's just a matter of do they win their division? Which condition are they in at the end of September? We ha- I have some metrics, numbers we can talk about later, perhaps when Mo comes on. But I think anybody who sees this as more than a, a temporary blip is perhaps over overly concerned. I do agree with you, Brian. The thing with Molina supersedes anything else that has happened on this road trip because, frankly, I think this is more than a, two, a two-week deal. I may be proven wrong. But I think when you lose the most important position player on your team, you know, he is the irreplaceable man. I mean, he is, a, he is an all-star MVP caliber player. They don't have a replacement of his level anywhere, in, in not only in this organization, perhaps in the game. So there's going to be quite an adjustment that this team faces. Do they have enough parts to cobble together a reasonable facsimile? Because last night I did see, from a defensive standpoint, that Cruz was was taking care of business when when uh, when they were trying to at least steal bases. Well, you, on you, him. you did see the Pirates attempt to steal three bases on yeah. him, which very rarely would happen against Molina. He he is basically going to be tested. He is he's either going to measure up or he's going to be exposed from that standpoint. And he measured up pretty good last he night. Threw two or three guys out, and you always have to remember there's a pitcher element to that too. I think Cruz will be fine defensively. I think he knows these pitchers well enough that there won't be some situation where he's calling stuff they don't throw or in inappropriate counts. I'm sure the bench will help him. But uh, I, you make up that three hundred, that three thirty average, though. Well, I think there's a capacity for this lineup to compensate because you have players like David Freeze and Matt Holiday who have been hitting below their norm for most of this season. We've seen Holiday show signs of life lately. If Freeze kicks in, I think there can be some compensation from other players. But the lineup does look significantly shorter when you don't have Yachty Molina hitting their fifth or sixth. There is there is greater exposure there, and there, there are some numbers we can talk about a little bit later. But Yachty has not really been Yachty. Also, you know, for for a couple weeks, he he does have the team's only two home runs in 17 games. Another remarkable stat. But <laughs> but he, you know, when you're playing on a bad knee, a bad right knee, it's going to affect your hitting as well. So, I, I do think this team can compensate. It's that talented. But the problem is they're playing Atlanta, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, and then they come home and see the Dodgers for four. In my estimation, the Dodgers are the best team in the league right now. This there is no one feeling sorry for the Cardinals right there. They're going to have to wear it. Unless they can, unless they can compensate in the ways I mentioned, and you know, you can always pitch better too. They had three two run leads, two run leads last night, and, and yacked it up. That's to me that made it the worst loss of the road trip. So what you're saying is there will be some crowd control issues on the Eads Bridge every night. I think there is enhanced surveillance all over St. Louis for uh, jumpers. So yeah. you know, seven game losing streak for a team that had not previously lost more than three in a row this year. I can see where the angst is coming from, especially when you're playing in a division that has three of the better records in the league. But, you know, this this is modern-day baseball. The Cardinals have won a World Series after winning 83 games in a regular season. They've won a World Series after skating in as a wild card on the last day of the season. So there are many ways to do it. 
I just think the integrity of the lineup is a big issue, and it's going to it's going to come to bear in late September. That's that's when the better read is going to occur. And we'll talk about this with John Mosaic. But when you talk about some of the spots that aren't coming through big offensively. Pete Cosma, center field with, with John Jay, and now potentially Tony Cruz at catcher, you know, and not making a deal at the deadline where there's not really a lot of spots to put these guys. Do you think that opens it up for a, for a Tavares move later on here? I think this I think this roster will definitely have a different look in September. Wong, Tavares, people of that sort. Um, I, I do th- find it interesting to see how much exposure they're given. Right now, Tavares just has to get back on the field. He'll st- he's still dealing with a recurrence of a high ankle situation. Uh, the pr- best projections for him is to be back within 10 days or so. So, you know, there are a lot of moving parts to this, but still, it's going to be up to the core of this team, the, the team that had the best record in the game for most of this season, to to carry this, to carry it. You know, while you're missing a huge piece, you know, you have to pick up for those who are missing. It's it's just the way the game is played. Throughout the course of the show today, we will be joined by um, numerous guests, all in tribute to Joe. Uh, Ken Rosenthal, who wrote a beautiful piece on FoxSports.com yesterday. They worked together in Baltimore. Ken, good morning. Good morning, guys. Uh, I thought what you wrote yesterday, and I know a number of uh, people in St. Louis thought as well, was such a brilliant tribute to Joe, uh, not just the man you knew when you worked with him in Baltimore, the man you continue to know, but also what journalists should aspire to be. And your ability to convey that in a moment of grief was uh, truly phenomenal. Well, I appreciate that. I had given this a lot of thought, to be perfectly honest, and a number of us knew that Joe was really sick. And obviously, because I was close with him, I knew that I would want to write something. And I just thought this was the best thing I could write under the circumstances. And actually, it's really sad even to think about this, but I had carved out yesterday to write that even before I knew that he had passed because I'm going on vacation and I wanted to make sure I had it ready. So it turned out, obviously, early Sunday morning, Joe passes away, and then I knew that, we all knew that was possible that night, and I really didn't sleep much, woke up at 6 and just wrote it. And those kinds of things, in my view, they're hit and miss. Sometimes you write it, it's good. Sometimes you write it, it's kind of overwrought or whatever, but the reaction was pretty positive. And I I just, the only thing that comforts me about it is that it gives people some insight into Joe. And Joe was not a simple guy, and he was not always an easy guy. But from my perspective, having worked with him for four years, literally side by side, he was just a great journalist and a great friend. And that is why this is so crushing to all of us. What just is so difficult is that he's 54, and we all know that's too soon. And again, as I wrote, and I think others have written this too, this is a guy that, because he was so tough, that when he got leukemia, I thought, ah, this is a guy who will be able to beat that. But, of course, that's stupid thinking because the disease, it's not something that, is defined that way or can be handled that way. There's luck involved. There's all kinds of things involved. And unfortunately, he had a really tough strain. And that was the heartbreaking part of it. Ken, as we're uh, everyone, everyone's mourning, but we're also trying to, to celebrate his life today. Any funny stories or anecdotes that when you think of Joe that, that bring a smile to your face from your days working with him? Well, 
This emanates from when we were in Baltimore. John Miller left, and John Miller, of course, is the great radio announcer now for the Giants, San Francisco Giants. He had worked for ESPN and really one of the great Hall of Fame announcers in history. And the Orioles, of course, thought he was too critical because he said the score and they were losing or something like that. And they replaced him with a guy that Joe and I, among others, perceived to be a cheerleader. And frankly, in defense of this person, I don't know that he had much choice. So he would say things on the radio, this announcer, such as, don't believe what you read in the sun from Joe and me. Here's what's really going on. So Joe started this phrase, everybody up, because basically he was cheerleading for the team. And, and Rick wrote about it really well today. It, was kind of, it became kind of an all-purpose phrase for all of <laughs> But that, that was something that, again, and I wrote about this, that when you are kind of in the trenches reporting with someone, and listen, I'm not pretending this is anything more than baseball. It's baseball. It's not politics or war or anything international of true meaning. But we had some battles that we fought together against certain people with the Orioles. And when that happens and you're up against it and the whole town's telling you you're a liar, form a bond. And we always had that bond. And it was really special. And I won't forget that. And then my second question is, I lived in Washington uh, in the mid-90s, and every once in a while when I would get homesick for St. Louis, I would go to Baltimore. And since you lived there, do you see a lot of similarities between St. Louis and Baltimore as I did, or um, is it just one of, there's just a lot of brick there? So I've, said, like, <laughs> I've said many times on uh, my previous show, and I think even on this show, there are no two more similar cities in the, in the United States than Baltimore and St. Louis, and that in many ways is a bad thing, but... Uh, it's, Agreed. It's, yeah. a, it's unfortunate. Is provincial, isn't it? it very, really very, is. very provincial, very backwards thinking, very defensive, uh, mm-hmm. little brother co- complex, St. Louis with yeah. Chicago, <laughs> Baltimore with Washington. And uh, it's a shame because both cities have such great potential, but yeah. it, it's gone unrealized for so long. But I'm totally on board with wh- where you're coming from. Yeah. Well, Joe, it's an honor to talk to you. I'm a big fan. So uh, thanks for hearing me. Look out. at this, Ellen. You're not interested in any of us, but Strauss comes in and it's like George Clooney sitting next to you. <laughs> well, That's I, another analogy I've heard a lot. Of. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I was just going to ask you, uh, your life compared to George Clooney's. <laughs> no, I, um, no, I am. I'm a big I'm a big Strauss fan, and I, uh, I laugh on Twitter every time you tweet out something, and the, I laugh at what you're trolling, and then I also laugh. Trolling? Wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> no, pardon me. I mean, you're very interesting, spot-on takes that uh, some people in our community seem to take offense to. So, I would never seek oh. to offend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas. Appreciate your time. Thanks. Thanks. I, uh, no, I actually heard it before I even came here. I, I was talking to people before I took the job here. said, what do you think of St. Louis? And they would say, what do you think of Baltimore? And I said, oh, okay. But, mm. but... That said, every you know St. Louis's reputation as a baseball town is unrivaled, and I came here to cover the Cardinals and don't regret the move at all. Uh, at the time, Baltimore was in the pits of the industry as far as a baseball franchise, and it unfortunately killed off a lot of the fan interest in the in the Orioles. But they're they're starting to come back. They're not all the way back, but that is a great baseball town too when treated properly. Is there any other? And I ask this sincerely. I really do. I don't. I can't think of any other airport that's even remotely close in poor setup 
and uh, population and activity uh, than Lambert. And it it is a gateway to a city, and it is, it's really, you know. It's a disaster. It just makes me feel horrible. Like, it's already kind of rough anyway coming back, (laughs) but then that's like like the kick in the balls. It's the first thing people see when they get to St. Louis, and it's like they land at 7.30 at night, and they, and they, Get off the plane, and they're walking through the terminal, and the terminal is already shut down. <laughs> Stores are and then they up. get in a cab, and it's five dollars to pull the flag. And before you're over the parking lot, you already owe eight, the, the hack eight bucks. It's just like, <laughs> where did I, where did I take the wrong turn? I don't know. I mean, it's it really it's something to behold, and you know, it's not like I'm like. You know, traveling all over the place. My two destinations are pretty similar, you know, South Florida and Las Vegas. But uh, when I do travel, you know, outside of those two destinations, it's amazing. There's nothing that's even comparable. As, uh, there's got, I mean, LaGuardia is a hellhole, but it's New York City. Uh, there really is nothing. What has happened in the last five to ten years here to this airport is as bad as it gets anywhere. Yeah. And it I, really is. And I don't, I mean, you know, I realize there are, in some cases, well, a lot of the case, extenuating circumstances. The TWA still, thing. Yes, of course. Giant. But Wow. Uh, and I know it drives you uh, up the wall. I mean, and I'm sure, you know, in, in, in sincerity, in moments of seriousness, you do actually try and figure out what's doing or what can be done or what is being done to try and... Turn it around. I don't. What what is the case there? I, I don't know. We, you know, when when I had the show, when we had the show earlier, we had the the executive airport director of the airport on. And, you know, there was there was a lot of happy talk about how things are getting better. And I get, but the thing, I think the way things are measured here is if they get, if you get a new. If you get a, a slushy station out there, that's considered to be a big deal. And when we're talking about huge tectonic shifts that need to occur here within this market, and it's it's a chicken or the egg thing. Is it has the have the nonstop flights gone away because businesses have fled, or do businesses flee and refuse to come to the market because it takes them? You know, they have to make a layover in Salt Lake to get to to get to San Francisco or whatever. I mean, that's a bad analogy. You can get a nonstop to San Francisco, but. It's 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 just tough in a market. This this used to be the most overserved airline market in the country. Now it is arguably one of the most underserved, and it's just it's just depressing. It really is. And uh, I'm a big airport guy, like y'all. You know, I travel a lot. I could probably name you the top ten airports, top bottom ten airports in a heartbeat. But this one is this one's circling the drain. And I, I wonder sometimes, is it because of city control? Would private privatization help? I don't know, but you know, it, it should be at least discussed, I think. One good thing is though you can show up, you know, in half an hour before the flight and still make your plane. That that's that's uh that's rare among the uh major airports nowadays, but it should be so much more. It really should and you know the the concessions out there are substandard, with a few exceptions. And uh, again, you get off a plane. If you're a business traveler, you get off a plane. You've been flying for three hours from the east or west coast. And, oh God, just let me get to a bar. Let me get. A, and I don't even drink. And you get off there, <laughs> and everything is just shut down. It's it's you know it's just like seven thirty at night. What is going on? And if I walked into a you know a seniors cafeteria or what? <laughs> And uh, it's it doesn't change, and and there's not even a discussion about it. That's what's so discouraging. There's not even a discussion about it. I I think one of the roots of the issues, and I could be off the mark on it, but it is the nature. Nothing that there's no change that's going to take place, and and it's also I think one of the things that makes the city endearing uh, for those of us who do love it. Um, 
is that St. Louis is awfully unique in the fact that so many people who grow up here stay here, and so there isn't a lot of outside influence. And then furthermore, there isn't a lot of outside experience right. to compare and contrast. I do think that, like my friends, you know, who who either have moved uh, since college and, and work in other markets, or moved and then came back and are now raising families here. We have this conversation. We love the city, and by the city, I mean the region, and want to see improvements. And that is that's usually the start of the discussion. You know, if I just you know was flying through here and I go, God, that place, whatever. I don't have to come back all that often. What would you think? But but as somebody who's here, and I I do believe you know um, there is of course potential. Who is the most charismatic uh, politician in recent memory in this state? I think the world of John Danforth, but you're going back 20-plus years. And I don't know that he was that charismatic. Charismatic, he was a leader, I think, well-respected, who respected by people on the left and the right. Yeah. And uh, I think think the greatest compliment I could pay to him right now is he couldn't get a Republican nomination. Correct. Yep. Even though he was 15 years removed from being very close to being the vice president. So that's a a fantastic question. I mean, um, it just just seems like the stuff that becomes an issue here is the wrong stuff. I mean, keeping my politics out of it, who I vote for out of it, you have Claire McCaskill, the senior senator from the state, go public and rant about – Something involving the NCAA or something involving pro sports or something like that. And you look around at what's going on in Missouri and you're thinking that's what we want to grab a headline with. It's, you know, th- I remember there. And, and again, I know I know what some of her causes are. And I think I think some of them are well placed. But, for example, you had this huge controversy about the alleged gang rape at the University of Virginia. Rolling Stone story. Right. A number of stories. There was a rush to get in front of that. There needs to be inquiry, hearings, all this type of thing. This is rampant. Well, that that stuff never really happened. I mean, at least the anecdote that was used. And it's like saying, that's a big issue, but at least make sure it's the anecdote you're using as a wedge is, is legitimate. Again, it's just it's so diffuse in terms of where the emphasis is on things. Meanwhile, we're having a conversation about a city, a signature city within your state that is that is decaying. And nobody has any legitimate answers about what can be done about it as businesses, you know, over the last decade have fled, have fled the region. It's it's a it, it, you know, the, the lack of focus and emphasis is, is just startling to me. The best and the brightest oftentimes, not all the time, but the best and the brightest oftentimes who are from St. Louis when they graduate from school. And even if it's the University of Missouri, they don't come back to St. Louis. Part of that is because there aren't the opportunities right. that there would be in either Chicago or New York or if you want to look you know, to the West. And so I don't think that's the way it was in the 70s in the 80s to an extent in the 90s but it most definitely is for my generation and i don't know why it is i just know that in my little sample size that it is and then i think it sets the tone for a void of leadership if you don't have the best and brightest necessarily inclined to stick around but here's my question where are the younger political voices in in this region? It's people who who may who, who have been closer to college, who have been maybe elsewhere and come back, who 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 look at things a little bit differently. It, it just seems like that isn't 
that's not what people are looking for here. And that's unfortunate because I also lived in a town or a city, Atlanta, wow. where, you know, all the things we're talking about that kind of hold St. Louis back or would have propelled a city like Atlanta. You you have people from all over the place going there. You have a fantastic airport. It's a uh, people, you know, when I moved to Atlanta in 83, it was shortly after the missing and murdered children situation. Atlanta was stereotyped as this racially polarized city, you know, you ooh, you better you better be careful down there. Don't don't drive around with your car unlocked. Atlanta is exponentially better in terms of race relations than a vast majority of the cities in this country, including St. Louis. And yet, I, I don't know. It's it's just baffling how how places can be so different. And, are, and, and in St. Louis's case, I perceive comfortable being as it is, even though there's such potential here that, that it remains unrealized. That's that's what's frustrating to me. It's not that I think St. Louis is is a is a super fun place but it has potential that isn't really being exploited ben Fredrickson uh, interned uh at the post dispatch with joe strauss and now is a columnist uh at the post dispatch and he joins us here on the ryan kelly morning after good morning ben morning guys uh just to start out wanted to thank you guys for doing this pretty cool and uh i was listening on the on the drive into the office here and uh um, yeah, I got to catch uh, some of Tony's comments, and um, as somebody who's who's done this, as you guys know, I mean to hear to hear Tony Larusa talk about his respect for Joe's work ethic and him as a person, even though everybody who's been around know that they uh, flooded some heads once or twice or a million times. But uh, to have to have a guy like that say something about you who's covering you every day is about about the highest praise you can you can find. So that was that was neat to hear. Yeah, that is that is the highest compliment, especially a guy who obviously they did battle. But uh, when it's all said and done, Tony clearly thinks. Uh, absurdly high of uh, Joe. You are in a unique position, Ben, because you come in there as an intern, uh, coming from Sedalia, Missouri, going to the University of Missouri. You're interning at the Post-Dispatch. So you see Joe from that side. And then, uh, just now, a few months into your tenure as the columnist on stltoday.com, you got to see him as a peer. Uh, Give us uh, the perspectives that you experienced with Joe Strauss. Yeah, I mean, I learned a lot from, from watching and talking to Joe. And I guess, you know, you kind of that first uh, moment where you remember remembering someone. I can remember it with Brian and, and Joe. With with Burwell, it was at a uh, – I was still in college, and he stopped by to write a um, column on the first day of basketball practice. No one was there. I was there because I had to cover the team, so I was the only one who was there. And then Burwell shows up, and I'm like, what is he doing here, you know? Well, he was there to write a column about, I mean, like walk-on basketball tryouts. And, uh, you know, that just showed you kind of the stories that he found interesting. And what I remember about meeting Joe was, uh, you know, I was at Bush Stadium, you know, basically trying to not get in anyone's way that summer, um, pretending like I knew what I was doing, following people around. And, uh, you know, f- finding out the unwritten rules of covering baseball by breaking them and getting, and getting yelled at or um, told to go away by, by players. And um, what I remember first about Joe was one day we were in LaRusso's office. And so I, you know, picked up a spot where I thought I would be out of the way. And, and I'm thinking, man, this is crazy. Tony Russo sitting there opening his mail. And, uh, and that's crazy enough. And then Bob White, Bob Knight is in there. Um, and it's like, holy crap, you know, Tony Russo and Bob Knight. And I, like, I couldn't have said, said a word if you paid me, if, you know, if you paid me. But, but Strauss was never at a loss for words. And before Knight can start in on the sports writers in the room, uh, Joe starts ripping Knight about, I think, you know, one of the teams he was high on or something had bombed out of the NCAA tournament. And he was just on him. 
you know, and they were just firing shots back and forth. And that was the, my kind of my first Joe Strauss <laughs> moment, if you will. You know, this here's a guy who, you know, hey, Bobby, what, what were you thinking being high on that team? And then just going right back at it. And I loved it. And, uh, you know, that was kind of what I remember about, about Joe is that, that, that back and forth. But, you know, there was that other side, and you guys have mentioned it, and it was, you know, a caring person who – who went out of his way to help the people that he cared about, and he was crazy about his family, and he was he was extremely open and uh, willing to help guys like me. Um, and it's not just me. I mean, I got a I got a message from one of the other interns. You know, the, the Rick Hummel intern at the Post Dispatch is an annual thing. Um, guys have uh, come here every summer to help cover the Cardinals and do whatever else they need on the sports desk. And I had another intern, you know, one of this past this past year, reach out to me, Kevin Medelsky, and say, "Yeah, man, I had the same experience. Joe was always willing to." to help and if you had questions he was always there and you know joe joe was one of the guys who really was in my camp when it, when the opportunity came to come back to the post dispatch here this year and uh you know he was one of the first calls that i made when the idea was brought up to me and he was incredibly supportive from the beginning you know yeah you know we could use some new voices we could use you know someone someone a little bit younger you know and he was and that could have been looked at as you know not that i would come in and compete with him but you know a lot of guys wouldn't want someone new you know, on the staff, you know, the people kind of can get their, their elbows up sometimes, some places, but he wasn't like that at all. And it kind of went against that public persona of uh, maybe what people had of him. Um, and, and he did like, you know, barbing people. He did like the, the back and forth, but there was that, that other side that, that if you knew him, you got to, to see a little bit more. And, and you could see that some when he became a columnist. You saw it in some of the, uh, some of the, some of the columns that he sought out that, that were more touching and more heartwarming and not just, you know, taking someone down and, he did like to stir it up. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you that. But he, he always did it with the truth. And I think that's something that I learned from watching him. Um, right. I learned that you don't want to be the guy in the back of the pack during a media interview. You go off and talk to somebody on your own. Um, and then you know if you're going to mix it up, and that's great. But do it with the truth. And that's why people who he covered, they'd kind of roll his eyes and get mad sometimes. But they couldn't get that mad because he was telling true stories. And uh, that's what that's what the goal is all along. I would be disappointed if you if you told me he didn't also give you a, a very hard time when you were an intern. Oh man, brutal! But you know, like it's like you go out to <laughs> Rams Park boy. and it's like a roast. It's like a roast session. I mean, if you and you guys have been out there, and Charlie can can speak to this, but to be out at Rams Park when when Joe and Brian were there on the same day, <laughs> it basically turned into a roast, and anybody was fair game. If you didn't want to, if you didn't want to participate or defend yourself, you better leave. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I think with Joe. You know, me personally, I'm I'm not a very confrontational person just by nature, and and Joe is in a good way. Where I think when if some people you meet him at first, you you read him on Twitter and things like that, you might think he dislikes you, but really that's just his nature. He just kind of loved mixing it up and joking around. And I think you know, for myself, I can tell you this, and a lot of people. The more you hang around, the more you hung around Joe, the more you liked him. Like if at first you had an experience, whether it was on Twitter or the radio where he came after you for one of your your takes and just wanted to debate, the more you spent time around him, the more you liked him and appreciated him. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I think sometimes his his Twitter smart could be interpreted as just taking shots to take shots. But in his columns especially, he really believed what he wrote. And he went... To, and you could you guys could talk to Dave Matter about this. I know that you have him on the show sometimes, but he took extra pain to, to go and, and report something out before he formed his opinion. I mean, he would wear guys, he would wear Matter out with phone calls, trying to as he tried to you know wrap his mind around something going on regarding the the protest or the boycott. 
and that was you know when he was ill and no one knew but he he was very careful and i think hitchcock probably spoke to this when you guys talked to him was that he wanted to know what was going on and wanted to have the facts before he formed an opinion and that's something that you know a guy like me could learn a lot from because it's really easy there's a million people a million platforms to write and, and have an opinion out there but unless you're basing it in fact and you know doing the reporting then it's pointless because you don't know the situation that you're opining on and that's something that you know his years as a beat reporter, beat reporter really uh really instilled in him and he was gonna have an opinion and you were gonna know what his opinion was but you had to respect the fact that he went out and did the reporting on it and you know watching him report was fascinating because you'd never see him you know doing an interview with another person he was always just kind of you know ahead or behind the pack and then when he, the rare occasions when he was surrounded by a media horde um he had that i don't know if if uh cat if you remember this we had that ancient recorder i mean it was like something out of like i don't know it must have been like when he got in college or something I mean, or, the or the, at recorder. the same time he bought his shoes because those were ancient <laughs> also <The Sperry's>. right <laughs> it's where you had it's where you, it went back to the days when you had that vcu hat but i mean it was his huge recorder and it made this loud snap every time he turned it on and off so if you're in a group interview with him and he would ask a question and snap his recorder on. And then somebody else would ask a question that he didn't deem fit for his recorder, so he'd snap it off <laughs> when, the person was, when the person was answering. So it, was like you're, it was like an inner game. Like, could you ask a question worthy of Strauss's reporter? And more times than not, it was no. He was going <laughs> to snap it off as soon as you, as soon as you had finished asking because he didn't want to have to transcribe it. <laughs> and you know you spoke about dave matter in the short time we did the radio show together just about six weeks before dave matter was was on staff here on the radio show doing the reports it was really important for joe to have dave matter on the show to the point where we actually took some money out of our own pocket and, and paid dave because he wanted if we're getting you know stories about mizzou he wanted boots on the ground to really go out to a guy that knew what was going on and, and joe brought that up that just shows you even though we're doing a radio show in the midday it was important if we were talking about mizzou that joe wanted a guy there who really knew what was going on yeah no he cared about he cared about the reporting of it and that's something that that you know people should remember you didn't always have to agree but you had to respect the fact that he went out of his way to try to get his facts straight and he asked he went to the people that he was writing about and asked them if they wanted to, you know, talk before he wrote about it. I mean, I can't, I can't say that he wrote, you know, easy columns. He didn't really didn't make it easy on people, but the people that he was writing about, they had to understand that he made every effort to try to give them a chance to explain their position or, or you know, highlight facts that, that he didn't know about if they were there. And that's something that it, it doesn't happen enough, yeah. kind of in this fast cycle. And I'm guilty of it too. Um, you know, I've, I've done it before. You know, you form an opinion without having all the facts, and then later on down the road, you wish, man. Um, I wish I would have, you know, phrased that differently if I would have, you know, been aware of that. And it's something you have to learn by doing. But uh, Joe was Joe had, Joe had learned that, and uh, I think the people that he wrote about, and you're hearing it, you know, you're hearing it in the comments in today's newspaper. You're hearing it on this show. The people that he wrote about, who even butted heads with at times, they had to, they had to appreciate it. I mean, Bill DeWitt Jr. I think said it best when he said uh, there were days what he had to hide in his office late into the night before he left because he knew Strauss would come find him. If he, if he went out there when the reporters were there because he, he knew he was going to get his question answered. But, you know, that was something that over time, um, that becomes something that's admirable. And I think that's the key is that he was here and he went about his business the same way, you know, whether he was the, the beat reporter or the columnist, he was there, he showed up. I mean, so many guys, 
you know, in this not in this town, but all over the place. You know, I mean, it happens everywhere. There's there's more avenues to write about teams than ever before, and so many people who have the, the strongest opinions are never the ones who are actually there every day. And you know, Joe Joe would would have an opinion, and he might write something that ticks people off, but then he was there the next day, and you know, he'd take his lumps for it. I think that's so important when you're trying to be form a lasting relationship. You have to you have to show up and, and be present. And uh, he was always that stand up guy, and that's that's what I'll you know, one of the biggest things I'll remember about him was that he went about it the right way and that he, he was a huge supporter of the guys who, you know, young guys who were, were trying to find their way. And if you just solicited his advice and, and went to him for help, then he was more than willing to offer it. And he actually enjoyed it. But you had to just kind of crack through that, that outer shell a little bit. St. Louis, Missouri. They're your stories, but it's our town. Alrighty, got some texts coming in from the 618. Filling parking meters every hour for a four-hour event. Our town. That's Going quite, out there four times. Quintessential our town. Yeah. Let's, we have a downtown that's decaying, trying to bring people down, trying to revitalize the, the city. And what are we going to do? Cash in on it, baby. Here they come. Just rip people off while they're watching the Civic Centerpiece, the Cardinals play, because there might be an extra 10 or 15 bucks in it for the city. No, the big ticket item is you know that they're not all going to pay the the, the meter, so we can ticket them and get 100 bucks well, out of I'm everybody. Saying. That's what I'm saying. The tickets aren't 100 bucks. I think they're 10 or 15, but it is just the most blatant ripoff for a city that is crying for revitalization. It's the, it's the quintessential... Hooterville move. Executive producer Brian Ray is trying to stir it up. I think our town good. We have an NHL team. I think we've discussed that enough in the previous segment. From the 573, our town where the word historical is used once in every four words in the tourism brochures. I think iconic is right there too. The iconic airport. The iconic architecture of this Lambert Hooterville airport. Oh, by the way, and when they use the word historical, they actually mean hysterical. (laughs) I thought, Our it town. King. I thought it was historic anyway. Yeah, that's what I'm, that's my point. From that the guy, fight. he's historical, man. He cracks me up every time he and says something. Ice Clay, he's historical. <laughs> yeah. From the 573, Our Town, let's see, where fans like to dish it out, but if someone says anything bad about one of the 314 teams, they cannot take it. No, I think it's a little deeper than that. I think it's, it's, it's uh, for example, the B-Fib, the, the B-Fib mythology that if anybody contradicts that, there is there is a historical, hysterical reaction to it. And, and to me, that, I find that one of the most interesting elements of this town, how the fandom takes its fandom so much more seriously than most other places in the country. Let's go out to the Ryan Kelly phone lines. Ryan Kelly, your home loan expert. Jim has an R-Town. Jim, welcome to R-Town. Yeah, guys, here's my R-Town thing. Because I grew up following sports in the 70s, and our town didn't have an NBA team. I had fun then, but I made a mistake, as I've learned. I grew up rooting for Wes Unseld and Alvin Hayes. I made my favorite NBA team, the Washington Bullets. Now, in the 70s, it was wonderful. But ever since they lost the 79 finals <laughs> to Seattle, I've been killing myself and suffering ever since. But I'm too stubborn. They've always been my team. So I didn't follow Larry or Magic. Then, guys, I suffered with the Washington Bullets. 
now for like 35 years. Thank you, guys. I love the Bullets. I can't stand the Wizards. Sorry. Uh, they see, lost me when they I made the I feel PC your pain, Jim. I'm a D.C. guy. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Uh, an email coming in, the Appliance Discounters email. Guys, I accepted a one-year assignment to the Bay Area from St. Louis a couple months ago. It's a miracle I haven't been killed yet. It's like Thunderdome. St. Louis drivers are incredibly competent and considerate compared to California drivers. They speed up instead of letting you merge. They tailgate when you're driving 15 miles over the limit. And there's a crazy law here that lets motorcycle drivers share the lane with cars on the interstate. Folks back home have no idea how good they have it with traffic and other drivers. That's from Stephen from South County by way of San Jose. You know what, what bothers me about out-of-town drivers, though? It's not that they're overly aggressive. It's that they're overly passive. It's If you're, say, 100 yards from a stoplight and the light is green, these people will slow down 30 or 40 yards because like, they're anticipating it turning red. Yeah, and, 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 then, and you're in a hurry, and, yeah. and they get across, and you're stuck yeah. at the light. They, they, they edge through, and like, I'm jammed at the light. Oh, Eric, man. our board op, agrees 100%. Uh, from the 314, I love walking to the wrong part of the riverfront and running into an extra uh, off of the walking dead. Who needs Hollywood when you have our town? Oh, an extra. I got you. Yeah. An extra off of the TV show, The yeah. Walking Dead. Okay. That's a good take. Yeah. Uh, from the 573, our town where a guy says Washington instead of Washington. Yep. Yeah, there, there is that in Farty instead of 40. Farty. From the I, I call it 64. Everybody else calls it Farty. From the 217, I agree with this. What do the Washington Bullets have to do with our town? Bullets. <laughs> well said. Well said. Let's see here. Uh, from the 314, when Stan Kroenke transfers ownership of his Denver teams, I'm not getting into that. That's not, that's not in our town. We're sticking to our town right now. Uh, let's see. Another email coming in, the Appliance Discounters email. It's Alex from NYC again. I have a couple more our towns for you today. Rich from Maryland Heights having a radio show, our town, and he confirmed it on the morning after a couple days ago. Where? Is it here? Oh, it's here. It's it's Sunday from 1.30 to 2.30 on no. WGNU 920. No. Half, wait a minute. He's on the radio for a half hour? No, no, no. 1.30 to 2.30. Oh, well, that okay. means he, he's able to ask one question. He's only got an hour. <laughs> also from uh, Alex in We New should York call City. his show. <laughs> Being asked to leave your firearms at home when attending downtown festivities. Our town. And winning the email portion of the first annual Our Town and not hearing back from anyone. Our town. Ooh. I keyed, I keyed, but seriously, wonderful show as usual. Hey, I got one, and this might t- this will probably be a shot clock violation, but this is too good to let slide. It's it's I'm pushing the our town definition, but what, the story that ran the paper this week from Bourbon, Missouri, about the two boa constrictors that escaped from a trailer park. <laughs> In this in this region, about an hour southwest of St. Louis, oh, a nine and a half foot male boa escaped Sunday, and I guess his ten foot long accompanying beef got out three weeks. <laughs> no, but but, but but the funniest part is not it's not that that it, they escaped; it's that they escaped from a trailer park. Well, it couldn't it, be it, from it, a condo. And the way this was it written, it couldn't be from a garden apartment. It had to be from. But the, the way this was written, I don't know who the writer was, but it was perfect. They described the search for the boas, and it says, Reluctant officers from the Crawford County <laughs> Sheriff's Office searched the trailer Monday and found two sizable snake skins, which showed, <laughs> which showed the snake spent time loose in the trailer. <laughs> Oh, that God. is the quintessential art town. I mean, oh. Bourbon has to be considered a suburb of St. Louis now. I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. From the 314, our town, our town problem-solving tip. If you don't acknowledge it, it will go away. 
There very you good. Go. Very good. Go. It's only a problem if you recognize it. And and the other one is change. Change is bad, but what if it's good? But what if it isn't? <laughs> you know, that's it's just like no one wants to do anything different. You know, there we can't there there is room for positives about the three one four. We haven't got a whole lot of positives today. Well, except for maybe the Boa story. <laughs> I like the snake story. The snake story's pretty good. Yeah. From the five seven three, our town has a high school mentality when it comes to pro sports. I don't know if I agree with that one. No, I think it's fairly sophisticated about pro sports. I think just sometimes they get the football mentality and baseball mentalities confused. That's that's my that's my gripe. From the five seven three, our town is full of left lane hijackers. Yeah, the you know the people that get out in the left lane and and don't go fast. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, from the three one four, the East Terminal bathroom sink water has a beyond foul smell. Gee, welcome to STL. That's Joel also from Castle Rock, Colorado. He uh, texted in earlier. Very, very lucrative suburb of, uh, you know, well-to-do suburb of uh, Denver there. So that's good. Nice airport uh, in Denver. Let's see. 217, Ballpark Village adding more parking for an area that already has four parking garages surrounding it that are half empty during Cardinals games. I don't think you could ever have too much parking around a sporting facility. I have no problem with that. None. It is interesting to see Ballpark Village coming into fruition Right now, if you look out there beyond it's, the, it's, uh, the it's, left center yeah. wall, it's it's getting up there. You got the structure. Yeah, and you can, you can see, see the you can the, see the, the stands, the seats. Yeah, yeah. I think Ballpark Village. I mean, after all the being lampooned for its inactivity for almost a decade, I do think it's going to be a net positive for the area. I, I, I am excited to see what happens there. I am too, particularly because I can't wait for the uh, for the uh, the Cowboy Bar. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I mean, you guys, you and I are going to be hanging out there all, you guys all the spoof time. It. I think it's kind of cool. I want to get on the, uh, you know, the, the 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 Bronco machine and let it go. Line dance a little bit. Uh, we'll give out the numbers one more time because we've ran out of our towns right now, at least uh, on the phone line and on the text line. Uh, on the email line, we have a few more texts. We but, gotta, uh, we get those are the on the NBA. line. Those are the NBA. No, okay, no. Baby O changed his mind. Okay. Yeah. Baby O, our town. Baby O wanted to talk about the NBA, but I think he changed because his mind. Because we've moved on. We have moved on, but yeah. Baby O is still on the line, the Ryan Kelly phone lines. Baby O, what's your R town? What's going on, gentlemen? How you doing? You're on the shot I'm clock. Doing, Roll. I'm doing wonderful. Our town, this is typical our town. We are enjoying this weather, 70-degree weather. This is fall-like weather only to have us kicked in the stomach in December when our local utilities asked for a rate hike. Our town. <laughs> That's right. They didn't make the, they didn't, they didn't cop their uh, profit in the summer because they stick it to us in the winter. I didn't even hang up on him there. I think he hung up already. Uh, from the 217, half-empty parking... He hit parking. the hole. That's what he did. he did. He hit the hole. Baby, oh, all right. From the 217, half-empty parking garages would be the definition of having too many parking garages. Strauss, you crotchety old man. <laughs> Burwell. <laughs> From the 314, is that your number? Are you a 217? No, no, I'm not. From the 314, only in our town can Burwell stir it up so easily. The red element is alive and well in the STL. True, truly so. That was easy. Uh, from the 314, Slappies have the loudest voices. Our towns. Yes. Our town is where, where a sports talk show host can refer to the AD at the local college as a slappy. <laughs> I know. Bad, a bad transition. <laughs> yeah, you, you can say there that. No, there was no. Yes, our town is where Charlie can do bad transitions. I will is, take that one. Is there is there a tweet from the from the booth here, Joe Rod? I mean, what do we got in there? 
But I, 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 I'm trying to bring him in. He's fumbling in there. So From the 314, our town expects the Cardinals to be undefeated and to have an all-star at every single position. All right, I got a tweet here uh, using hashtag rtown920 from Nick Han. Waking up, feeling like it's going to be a good day because your car windows weren't busted after parking on the street. <laughs> a Soulard resident, you like to hear that. Uh, let's see. Why is everything negative? Come on, people. Where's the positive? This is a wonderful city to live in. Where's the positive? I'm, encourage, positive I'm encouraging positive stuff. I, this is just what we're getting. The gentleman said that he did not know how great that we all have it with traffic until he moved to San Jose. Okay, that's that was there is no traffic in St. Louis, no matter how many lanes they reduce 64 to. Uh, from the 314, our town hates Tony Larusa. That is kind of interesting how Larusa has has never really been. Uh, loved here after bringing two World Series. What I've never figured out is why can you? Is it not okay, why is it not okay to love both Whitey and Tony? It's like I know you got you got you got to pick a side and hate the other guy. I don't get that. I've yeah. never have since I moved here. How about this one? Two one seven. Good, colorful sports anchors and reporters and sports radio that doesn't take themselves too seriously. That oh, don't take themselves yeah. too seriously. Yeah, they're talking about you, Burwell. <laughs> um, from the 314, considering crawfish as our lobsters. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, let's see here. Uh, from the 636, I think this is just a general take. I wouldn't watch basketball even if Harvard is playing Duke. I don't think Harvard-Duke would be that good of a game. Actually, it would be. In uh, basketball? Because, yes. When? Tommy Amaker no. coaches Harvard. I know Tommy and Harvard Amaker is, coaches Harvard. Harvard has, in the last few years, produced a top 35, top 40 basketball Yeah, they've been, they've been a So you're saying, that, you're saying that Harvard-Duke would be a good game? Yes, it would no, be. It would be entertaining for a while. Yeah. I, just got, I, uh, I just got tweeted by a guy that says, I'm not a native of St. Louis, but I'd like to have some pride in this city. Can we please stop this Our Town segment? Wow! Oh come on, let's let's be a little bit you know less thin skinned. From the three one four, Marlow is Mike Lee's idol. Our town. Also from the three one four, our town. Uh, break into dozens of cars, and the police chief uh, says the city is safe. Only in our town can you get fired for reporting an inside story. I like it when there's a rash of break-ins and car break-ins, and the populace is told basically. If you wouldn't put stuff in view, you wouldn't get your car broken into. As, as, as if, you know, it's your fault. How about a good one to end on? Okay, let's get our a positive our town. One. It's a good one. From the through and four, finally, well-functioning front offices in our sports teams. Our town. Absolutely. Very good point. I think we'd all agree yes, with sir. that. Sir. All three of them are in good hands right now. Yes, indeed. That was our second our town. Pretty good, guys. I think it, it was pretty good. Good, good traffic today. I liked yeah. it. But yeah, a lot of negative. It doesn't have to be negative. No, no. It's just, today was just a negative vibe. They kind of fed well, you off set them up the, by, yeah. by playing the race card yep. before it came on. <laughs> the race baiter. That whole race baiting segment yeah. just yeah. put us on a negative oh, path. We couldn't get off. I did like the redemptive value of the boa constrictors in Bourbon, Missouri, though. That, that kind of tied it all together. I know. And uh, I guess I'll read one more. A radio show called Our Town. That's our town. That's our town. Is that town. coming up soon? That's, I don't that's know. That's very positive, I think. That was our town. This is Middle Relief, Marlowe, Strauss, and Burwell in no particular order. CBS Sports 920 and inside STL.com. Ken Hitchcock, kind enough to join us here on the Ryan Kelly morning after. And Ken, in Rick Hummel's piece this morning in the Post-Dispatch, I gather you got a chance to talk to uh, the Hall of Fame baseball writer yesterday. 
because he told the story of how when Joe uh, took on the role of columnist at the Post-Dispatch, he knew that his knowledge of hockey wasn't where he thought it needed to be. And so it sounds like you guys spent quite a bit of time together uh, explaining the intricacies and your reasoning for doing what you did, and you had a great deal of respect for him for going out of his way to try and do that with you. Yeah, I, for me with Joel, um, I was fascinated by his uh, his wanting to understand the inner workings of a team. You know, he 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 always told me. He said, "I don't want to deal with what happened today. I, I don't want to deal with the score and the game and the one day event. I, I want to know why why teams win and." You know, he said, I had these deep conversations with Tony, uh, you know, and it took a long time for Tony to and Joe to kind of hook up, but they did at the end, and which was great. And Tony warned me about him. Um, <laughs> he, 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 he said, uh, you know, he's going to ask you tough questions. He's not going to ask you questions about why you did this or why you did that like he does me, but he's going to ask you, tough questions. If he doesn't think your team's functioning properly, he's going to want to know why. And if it is, he's going to compliment you on it. He said he's he's fair, but he digs deeper than anybody. And that's why I respected him so much. I thought he just he dug in issues that had were really interesting to me and I think obviously interesting to Joe. You know, he, he the, I think a lot of people don't know the real Joe Strauss the way the people that got to know him, you know, know the other side. What was Strauss like when when uh, he was sitting with you and and you were teaching him about the inner workings of the team, uh, well, I think he was fascinated because I think the part is coming from baseball, you know, um, and then seeing you know the brutality of hockey and and the emotion and intensity of hockey. I think that really fascinated him, and I, I think he was also he was very curious to try to come to an understanding of why players. Like, it fascinated him that players blocked shots. It fascinated him that players took hits to make plays. They fought for their teammates. They, and that whole inner working of a team in hockey absolutely fascinated Joe. And he wanted to know every detail. He, he didn't want to know about the shots on goal or, or you know, the scoring chances. He, he wanted to know why guys did things and what made them do it and vice versa, what, why they didn't do things. So... Um, uh, you know, I, I just, I think his, uh, his curiosity, uh, fascinated me. And, you know, I, 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 every time he was in on a press conference or every time he would come in, he would always come into the morning ones, uh, you know, right after the skate, uh, cat. And so it was 1115. Every time he was there, I said, I, I kept thinking, Oh, I'm not going home early for lunch today. And, uh, you know, then then he would seek me out and he, he would ask questions from a week ago or, or he hadn't, he didn't want to talk about the game that we were playing. He just would ask questions from a week ago. Why did you do this? Or why did your team play like this? And what, what made him do that stuff? And when you look at some of the articles he wrote, um, he had a great feel for, why teams succeed and why they don't. 
And Ken, it seemed like to all of us, and when you read Strauss and you just know him, that he was he was really old school in the way he wrote. Uh, you know, from his baseball days, he seems to kind of call everybody on the phone. I remember a couple of times he'd call me, and I'd look down like, like, what are you doing calling me? People just text nowadays. <laughs> from from that standpoint, he was he was really old school, but also could do the Twitter and do the chats that all the the beat writers and columnists have to do these days as well. Yeah, but I think the one thing Joe never got involved with was. Uh, um, he never got involved with uh, the what if. He got involved in what actually happened. So that's the part that I, you know, I, I, I'm a newspaper guy. You know, the, the feel of a newspaper is very comforting to me. And I, I, I told where we really hooked up is I told Joe, you know, I used to read seven newspapers a day when I coached in Philadelphia, and you know, two of them were New York and five were Philly papers, and. And I think there was a bond because of that, because I, the newspaper for me was, was everything. And I, I told Joe the story, and we laughed about it, that I used to pay $7.50 every Sunday to get the Dallas Morning News when I was coaching in Kalamazoo, Michigan, because it had two articles on the uh, Dallas Stars. And... I used to go to uh, Barnes and Noble, and they they put it away for me, and you know, so we hooked up because of that. And uh, I just had respect for just it felt comforting to talk to columnists or talk to beat writers that that were real newspaper people, and I think that's why we hooked up so well. Ken Hitchcock, kind enough to join us here on the Ryan Kelly Morning After. You're listening to CBS Sports 920, and you can also listen to us on 105.7 HD2 FM, and of course on Inside STL. Com. If there's one thing we continue to hear over the last 24 hours, uh, Ken, it's uh, a respect from whether it be peers or the people he covered for the manner with which he went about it. And I'm not talking about how he conducted himself, although that's been mentioned, but the critical thinking that he put into it. It's easy for somebody who covered baseball all their lives to do that. Hockey is at a different level. Even for the people, I think, who, who've played the game, uh, it's at a different level. It's so fast, and there's so much going on. I've heard Joe Buck say, I could, you know, I feel like I could call football, baseball, and now golf, but I could never call a hockey game. There's so much going on. And so you guys for, who speak that language uh, can relate to it, of course, so easily and speak that language so easily. And then Joe tries to come in and apply what he's done with football and, and baseball to hockey, um, how was he able to to adapt to that for you? Uh, I think the part that he adapted to was, um, which I I respected. He never fell in love with the skill. He he wanted to know why things functioned the way they they did. You know, he never he never uh, he never hero worshipped. He I think he team worshipped. I think he really respected Tony and the way Tony went about his business and and made teams and had success because of it. And that's what he wanted to look at. He he wanted to find out why teams had success, why they had long term success, what made them tick. He wanted to know um, everything that a coach wants to know and has an understanding of. Joe wanted to know that information and. Um, he wanted to leave the building feeling comfortable that he had an idea of what my plan was and what Tony's plan was. And 
he wanted that information so he felt comfortable. And he would ask you questions all the time until he felt like he had the proper information so that he could watch and understand the, the nuances of the game. Please ask Joe about this week's STL Today chat. He dispensed a lot of tough love. That comes from Caller Ellen. And I already had your chat uh, transcript up. So I thought this question uh, that was posed to you and then your answer um, was fascinating. And I, I think it uh, it speaks to a bigger uh, discussion than sports. Joe, believe it or not, this is one of my favorite sports chats. I participate in others from papers in different states, and you are among the best. I can live with your condescending snark and appreciate the humor. Thank you for your time and expertise. After being here for 13 years, why do you not consider yourself one of us? We were getting into some of the issues confronting the, the city and the region, and I was somewhat critical of what's, what's going on, as, as a lot of others are, and people, some people took umbrage at it. And I, I just made the point that my first job out of college was in Atlanta, which at the time was just emerging from the missing and murdered children tragedy uh, that, that basically ripped that city apart. Uh, and then we see what happened to Atlanta after that. It's an international city. It, it, it obtained an Olympics, largely through the cooperation of civic leaders, uh, both white and black. Uh, Atlanta has serious problems. It still does. Traffic's a mess. There's still, you know, political tomfoolery there that has put some people in jail. But again, I mean, when I went to Atlanta, I was told, you know, keep your windows rolled up, keep your head down, blah, blah, blah. It, wa- it really wasn't like that. And then, you know, years later, here I am, which is great, but it just seems like the same discussions this team, I mean, this this city was dealing with 10 or 15 years ago are still in front of it, and it's just kind of a, a treadmill type of deal. And, you know, Atlanta's a city that reinvents itself every 20 years, and it's become, I, I think, one of the arguably top five cities in the nation. And St. Louis, I think, has so much potential but there's so much frustration that's built up because it just seems like so many are enamored of the past as opposed to challenged by the future. And I just, I just I've always come to, it's always been difficult for me to come to grips with it. And Tim, I know you guys, you know, you're from here your, your entire life. I sense you feel some of the same frustrations. And I, you know, I pin some of it on just the reluctance to look to outside answers. I mean, not every answer has to be generated from those who have lived here all their lives. And that's part of why Atlanta, for example, became a, became such a celebrated city. It, it solicited people from outside its region, outside the state, outside the nation. It's an international city. I'm not saying St. Louis eventually will become a top-ten market again, but I certainly think most would agree that things could progress past where they are right now. I'm currently reading uh, Dethroning the King. Have you guys read that, by the way? No, no. You haven't? It's fascinating. I can't, I really, it's one of those, uh, I can't put it down. It's about the uh, InBev purchase of Anheuser-Busch and all that leads into it. And there's a sentence in it, paragraph, whatever the case might be, that really so far has stood out to me, and it really has nothing to do, well, it's it's more of a, it's, it's a micro statement based on what was transpiring at the time, but I think you can apply it to this discussion and what you're specifically saying right now, Joe, from a macro perspective, and that was that there were a number of people at the brewery who loved to be the guy in the neighborhood, and they're 
subdivisions who everybody knew they could come over to get a free case of Budweiser or oh, Bud yeah. Light. I think everybody had that neighbor. And they and they loved it. And uh-huh. and and that was the biggest deal in the world to them, and they didn't want to lose that because they thought, and again I'm paraphrasing here, don't have the book in front of me, uh, that the sun uh, rose and the sun set in St. Louis. And so it was a case of not really talking to many people on the outside of St. Louis. And I think what happens here, perhaps more so than other places, I've been told that uh, Seattle's really provincial, which is surprising to me. I mean, I've been there a number of times, but I don't know enough about the area to, to know if that's accurate. I've actually been told San Francisco's provincial, which strikes me as really bizarre. But cities such as Atlanta and Dallas, uh, and of course, L.A., Chicago, and New York most, most definitely would be considered transient. But to, to compare and contrast, I feel like St. Louis, as Doug has always said, if you grow up here, you live here, it's like the Roach Motel. Once you go in, you never come out. Personally, I like that, but it also the thing that disappoints me about it is that people who aren't from here oftentimes are either distrusted or thought to not necessarily know what they're talking about because they're not from here. And I kind of view it the other way, that they aren't from here and therefore they have some ideas that they can perhaps infuse into the dialogue that may benefit a city that I think I don't care if you love the city or dislike the city, you would acknowledge it's not necessarily trending upward. And so some outside ideas may benefit as opposed to just automatically distrusting them as if they're too, um, you know, outsider-ish or progressive or whatever the term might be. I, I, I've never worked a city hall beat here. I've, you know, I write sports, but, you know, it just seems, for whatever reason, politics here just seems kind of like a gerbil wheel. It just keeps going round and round, and nothing really changes. And I think that's unfortunate. Uh, you know, what's wrong with a new voice, a new op- option? Geez, even maybe a second-party alternative in this town. And I, I just don't see where a city that is kind of trying to grind its way through tough times shouldn't be open to the possibility of, of, of greater change. It, it just seems like the the same things we're talking about now were being discussed 10 or 15 years ago. Okay, the mayor got control of the police. Okay, what's changed? Now suddenly we don't have enough police. Um, you know, the, the, the murder stats. I mean, it's, it, that's beyond embarrassing. It's, it's, it's beyond tragedy. I mean, just read the front page of the paper today. And that's what, that's what has become St. Louis's stigma. And whether people here think that's an issue or not, or being exploited by the media, whatever, that's the perception of this town outside its borders. And if you don't think that affects the future of the city, I think you're deluding yourself. It's, it's not just self-perception. It's outside perception that, that shapes, a team, shapes a town's future. I've seen it. I lived in Baltimore, which has a lot of similarities to St. Louis, a lot of, a lot of negative similarities, and you see what's going on there now. So... I just think sometimes it would really help if if maybe the civic fathers or people who who lived here much longer than I have were able to maybe detach themselves just to a degree and say, okay, we've tried this for a long time and we're kind of in this rut. What what damage would it do to to seek an alternative? Not not sacrificing, you know, the city or the regions, you know, what's good about it, but trying to augment what's good about it and and, and suppress what. What's bad about it? As I was told, it's because you have too many people fighting for the status quo because they don't want to lose their own little power, their own little fiefdom. And that's what you have all over the city. That's why so many people fight what appears to be positive change. 
because they don't want to give up what power they have. And that's and that's a problem for the city. See, taxi commission versus Uber. I'm not a big city county guy. I mean, I, I, I don't you know, I live in the county. I know at one time the, 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 the city rejected the county. You know, there's a lot of historical stuff that maybe I'm not super familiar with, but it seems like it's, it's an, an equitable exchange for a merger right now. But I tell you what, if, if both the city and the county were to, were to clean up this whole you know, municipality issue, I mean, that would, that would seemingly be a big first step because I still don't, I still understand the benefit of having all these small fiefdoms I don't see a the efficiency. I don't see where the trust is with those a lot of those communities and their and their go and their and their government. And as we've seen the last two years, there's just been this narrative where citizens are viewed as you know ATMs or serfs of the government. And I don't care which side of the fence you stand on politically, that that doesn't sound right to me. And that and that would seem to go to the issue of trust and what needs to change in this in this area. Yeah, there's plenty of money in the St. Louis area to make it all work. But, you know, the wealthy areas aren't going to share it with the poorer areas. And until the county and the city merge, I think you're always going to have this kind of stuff because there's a lot of people that like to be the mayor and the police chief and the city manager of all, of all these tiny little municipalities. Until they can all give that up and spread the money around instead of just having it in the central corridor, I think we're still going to have problems. Well, I mean, to me, it just seems like the city has a huge revenue issue and you keep hearing about doing something about the uh, employment tax, you know, the payroll tax, and yet there doesn't seem to be an obvious option to that. And I just think other cities have, have done things to change or augment their tax base that perhaps should get a hearing here and at least be thrown into a discussion as opposed to just going on this cycle of frustration and blaming and finger-pointing. And, you know, gee, I thought, you know, I, I know a lot of cops here. I mean, we all do. You know, we're around sporting events that – that are supervised by. I mean, you talk to these guys; they're rank and file. You know, they they know the score, and there there's a lot of frustration there too. So, if if those guys see it, it, it you know, I, I believe it, and I just think that some of these panaceas and cliches. Oh, give give the mayor control of the police; it'll make things better. Blah blah blah. It just shifts the argument. Now we're talking about having to hire another 180, 190 cops, which is great, but then somebody's got to pay for it, and nobody can. Nobody can answer that question. Right. And, and the underlying problem, is, is, as you stated, is the crime factor in the city, where one of the good things about St. Louis is that you can drive a long distance without it taking you three hours to get there. You can get to Chesterfield or Oakville or Kirkwood or Florissant, one of these places, in, in 20 minutes. So you don't have to live in the city. And so the people that don't want to deal with the problems of the city, with the crime, they just they drive for 15 minutes and they're home living somewhere safe. And so the city just continues to, to rot, much of it anyway. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of proactivity going on, at least effective proactivity. And that's where I come back to saying, hey, you know, solicit people from outside. Bring people in who've who've changed other areas or enacted change. And I just don't see why that is such a uh, – people get so viscerally opposed to that type of thing. I'm anxious to see over the next decade if some of these people who have come here or been here and started up these tech businesses in particular, if they emerge as leaders or if they will, understandably so, focus on their businesses and not want to get into the politics and help – uh, restore, for lack of better terms, St. Louis to the greatness that it did at one time have. It's just been a long time since then. Yeah. There's a vacuum of leadership, I suppose. Yeah, and, and, and that's, that's a point I've kind of harped on when, since I moved here is 
again, who is the most charismatic politician, A, in this city and B, in this state? And again, I know charisma doesn't count for everything, but it does count for something. And uh, because a lot of times that's what helps enact change. And, and again, it's not a rhetorical question. And, you know, I've stumped the band with it several times. And isn't there value in this town to, as you suggest, Tim, giving voice to, you know, 40-somethings of black and white who, you know, both from inside and outside the community to, to get maybe a different perspective or a more, pro, you know, your word progressive. I'm not, I'm not even saying it has to be all progressive. I think a counterbalance of some, you know, more conservative ideas or, or fiscally sane ideas would, would, would have merit as well. But just, just do something to shake up the dialogue. And, again, I'm not coming from a perspective that this is a Detroit or, you know, a Newark or, you know, a Gary or something, you know, some hellhole that, that has no chance. I think, I think St. Louis has tremendous potential, which only adds to my, you know, vexation about where things stand. I mean, look at the landing and see what that could represent, and it's just it just sits there. It's beautiful, though. Yeah. How many cities are more enamored of their past than their future and, and can be considered great cities? I just, I just don't see that. And, again, I didn't grow up here, so maybe I'm missing something, but it, it just seems like at some point, don't, doesn't it hurt your neck to be constantly looking behind you instead of what's in front of you? And I just... Uh, that's you know that's not a dislike of St. Louis. That's a frustration with something that could be better that is just seemingly encased in a in a time warp. And I think the cops have been unfairly maligned in a lot of the stuff that's gone on here in the last year plus. But again, what has happened has given rise, in my interpretation, to frustrations that long predate the last year and a half. And people are almost like looking for an excuse to vent about it. And this has given them their excuse and. Now they're trying to, to to maximize the opportunity. So I just wish something could be done. The energy could be funneled in a more positive way, and, and maybe some responsible voices arise that could enact change. Because in my read, this is a city with a lot of potential. When you look at the region, there, there are no great cities within 250 miles of St. Louis. It's kind of got its own radius where it could it could attract from a lot of stuff, but it just seems like it is it rather remain in isolation as opposed to you know broadening itself so we talk about sponsors and one sponsor who has been on board from the very beginning James Carlton the James Carlton insurance team second to none i've enjoyed getting to know james here over the last 8 or 9 months because now i have an appreciation for just how good he is at his job and how it actually really does make a difference that's not just a a cute little bullet point that's a real thing, and and when you have that, it's a game changer for you. Ninety uh, percent of homeowners in Missouri escrow their premium with their mortgages and have no idea what they're paying or what they're covered for. Do you? I know I didn't. Well, call James today to protect your biggest asset. You can go to carltoninsurance.net. You can go to carltoninsurance.net, or you can just give him a call. And James and his staff pride themselves on you never hearing voicemail. So give him a call, and I think you're going to be very happy you did, 314-961-4800. So if you're going to be buying a home and needing insurance, and you buy a home through Ryan Kelly, then make sure that you're getting your insurance through James Carlton. That's the name of the game. He's a State Farm insurance agent. If your insurance costs you a leg and an arm, then call James Carlton State Farm. 
Pleased to be joined by the GM of the Cardinals, John Mazalek. John, thanks for the time, and just to let you know, I got the call up from the uh, AAA affiliate, and I'm just giddy to uh, finally get to say hello to John Mazalek. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. I, I figured you'd like that because I know I'm going to get suffocated by Strauss right away, so here, well, I'll just hand it off to Joe for the Yeah, questions. that's probably even letting you speak. Right. Well, <laughs> my mom was my mom last time I, I did the show, she said, I, I felt like Joe talked a lot more. I said, that's the, that's that's the name the point of the game, of the show. Mom. That's he, the point of the show, she's, Mom. She's not the first person to say that, by the way. <laughs> I was going to say, and that's, that is how he conducts interviews. <laughs> <laughs> Interviewing myself is a specialty. <laughs> Mo, thanks for the time, and since I didn't get a, a question, and I'll just I'll let you go on one last thing what what comes to mind when you find out on a given day that joe strauss wants to interview you well i usually try to delay it you know like kick the can down the road and hope (laughs) worked yesterday st louis missouri they're your stories but it's our town gentlemen hello well, we haven't we haven't been anywhere. Why are you saying hello? We've always been here. Because I'm trying to find our first text for our town here. The, the screen refreshed and it completely shifted on me. So <laughs> I was stalling in dead silence. From the three one four, our town, one of the most dangerous cities. Newspapers does an article showing you how dangerous your city is. Are you saying the New York Times uh, revelation about crime in North St. Louis? I'm going to guess that's what he's taking a shot at. Mm-hmm. New York has become a, a much safer place in recent years. Yes, I mean, haven't you been to down to Disney World, uh, New you York? To, maybe you need to go to New York a little bit more often before you make that characterization. Right. Times Square is like a theme park now. i got a wonderful... Go, oh, drop it in there. St. Louis ranks number two for best retirement cities, according to livability.com. And did you see what number one is? Cincinnati. <laughs> what an exact. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's but like, you know, I think it's telling me it's a good place to go to die. I mean, I, I don't. <laughs> I, I just don't see much to, to be uh, beating your chest about there. Well, the top ten were Cincinnati, St. Louis. Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Provo, Utah, Pittsburgh, Roanoke, Knoxville, Birmingham, Cedar Rapids, and Syracuse. You know what all those places... I would never retire in Syracuse. I think what a lot of those places have in common is they're relatively cheap. Yeah. You know, you you can stretch your money a little bit further. I mean, I haven't heard a whole lot of people say, I think we'll go winter in Syracuse or anything I know. I, I just don't... I mean, I thought Scottsdale, Naples... You know, Palm yeah. Beach, Palm Springs, Palm Desert. Yeah, and that's what I think about Even retirement. the Carolinas, you know, <laughs> a temperate climate where one can, you know, leisurely stroll down to the golf course, things like that. But, I mean, I'm happy for my my fair city, but. Hey, can you, uh, I'm seeing some public angst today. Our town, where a 50-year-old, 45-year-old-plus hotel can be called iconic at the same time. <laughs> it's been 80% vacant for the last six months, and it's finally being shut down in January. It's a, it's an eyesore. I mean, please convert It's not it. an eyesore. It's an icon. Please convert <laughs> it to something serviceable. I mean, come it's a on. It's location. Yeah, it really is. I mean, what? I love. I mean, you, have you dined at the the, the the rotating restaurant at the top of the. No, I've dined in the. Banquet hall downstairs. That's oh, as far as I've the been. restaurant upstairs. I've been there many times. It's a really nice place. They great service, beautiful view. I mean, you can see the ballpark. Have you ever stayed there? No. 
Okay, there, therein lies the issue, huh? <laughs> so what there are a lot of issues. What you're saying is there, there, there's more occupation in the hotel, or excuse me, in the restaurant than there is in the actual hotel. That was the, that was the coach's hotel during the 2005 Final Four. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, this is a half mile away from where, where the iconic admiral was dissected and dr- taken down river over people's protest, you know, half a decade ago. Another, another tin dump that needed to be disposed of. I just, the word iconic is the most overused in this town. And I, a couple of years ago, I saw the airport referred to as iconic. It's old. It needs to be freshened up. Thankfully, they're trying to do something about it. Burwell, have you ever noticed that our town somehow centers back to the airport? Because Joe is one of those people. <laughs> what about me? What about my needs? That's Joe. From the 314 Our Town, where the host of a radio show gives out the contact information every 20 seconds and then keeps you on hold for over an hour. I think that's me. Yeah, I think I... Hockey Bob is talking about me there. Uh... Hockey Bob needs an intervention. <laughs> I for, like Hockey Bob. Actually, given given the weather recently, from the 314 Our Town, we're watching folks drive in the rain is akin to wacky races. I must say that I thought that over the last couple days, at least during the rush hour that I was in, in on the highway, they they uh, they did okay. Oh, our, our town, not me. Our town, where you can trust your life with the weather folks when it's tornado time, but you're on your own when it's snow time, baby. <laughs> <laughs> they did a good job last week. They kept got people out of the way. People in Illinois should have hopefully knew what was coming, but yeah. snow season's upon us. Look out. The whole weather changing season is upon us. Our town, where today it was actually a nice morning when I walked out to my car. About 40, 45 degrees, oh, I would thank guess. Oh, God, you didn't have to deal with frost on your windshield. Oh, no. You know what? I'm going to change my answer. Our town, where you guys are just a pain in my ass. <laughs> That's any town. <laughs> I woke up and there was frost on my window. I didn't it's getting to that time. To Our town. I didn't know what to do. Nice today. Tomorrow it's going to be... Butt-ass cold with frost everywhere, and then we're going to go out to our car at the end of the day, and it's going to be nice again, and then tomorrow morning it'll be uh, nice, and then it's going to be cold, then it's going to be rainy, and then we're going to see some snow, and then it's going to be warm, and then it's going to be cold. It's about to get cold for good, so yeah. Yeah, you know you won't have to hyperventilate about the changing weather each day. It's just going to get cold, which I can't stand. I can't either. How about this one? I mean, I know everybody out here reads the Post-Dispatch, but this is kind of a, a sad story, but it's hard to ignore Manchester mom arrested for DUI after fireworks ignite an SUV causing crash. What is going on? Wow. You're what the, kind of fireworks? There were kids in the car. <laughs> there were kids in the car, two teenage kids. So according to the report, this is in town and country, I guess the woman was, was toasted or is suspected to be toasted. Well, literally and figuratively, apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, and I guess, wow. And I guess something's happening in the car where firecrackers and bottle rockets are going off at 6 a.m. in the morning. What the hell is going on? Jill from the 314 Our Town, where moms get DWIs dropping their kids off to school in the morning. It was 6.30 in the morning. She tied up traffic on Interstate 270 for hours. This is this is this is deep our town here. This is this gets to the core here. This was DWI involving drugs and fireworks and two teenage kids. Was this and where was this? 
cow and country. Wow. But on Interstate 270, perhaps going to someplace less affluent. I'm not sure. Unbelievable. No, she was of Manchester. Well, okay. Wow. From the 847, our town, where two Virginia boys think they know everything about the 314. That's right. Hey, coming the, after you. The show is open to, to you. Dial in with your takes. Yeah. We're, we're asking for your takes. It doesn't have to be a negative one. Tell us the upside of our town. Yeah, I just talked about a, a, a great upside. I'll think I'll pat all three of us on the back and say our town, where today was a heck of a show about discussion, society, po- environment, just society (laughs) (laughs) couldn't get it out could you I'm a wordsmith I'm a master of my craft what were you trying to say I don't know what he was trying to say I thought today was an excellent show and I thought we raised the level of debate and discussion in the world of sports talk radio you're incapable of saying the word race just say it we had had great discussion about race it's okay Uh, that's all right. Don't let him pick. I on thought you. it was more I thought, issues in I general. Think, I think that was a perfect example of harassment in the workplace. You should report him to. Every show is an p- example of harassment <laughs> in the workplace with you two. We kid because we love. Right. I, I'm admit, not you. I'm, admit, I'm a little, admittedly a little bit light on our town, but it is our town where the the the, the defending National League champions go into the off season in three weeks. Into November, they're being excoriated because they haven't acquired a shortstop yet. Yeah. The general manager is asleep at the switch. He needs to be reprimanded or worse. You know, I saw a, a, an article slash internet comment, so obviously it's going to feed right into it, but with Joe talking about the Cardinals getting squashed because they haven't picked up a shortstop yet, how about the complaints that uh, the Blues never should have traded David Perron because of the streak he's on with the Edmonton Oilers right now? Team's off to their best start in franchise history in 20 games, and you're mad they traded David Perron? You ever thought that maybe the reason they're off to their best start is they traded David Perron to free up some salary cap space? Apparently enough people are mad are mad enough that they're not going to watch the team off to its best <laughs> start right. in franchise history. It's a great point. This our town where we cling to former players like they are house pets. I mean, the, the best thing Adopted that... Adopted sons. The Best thing that can happen to a guy in this town, if he's a sports star, is to leave. They treat you, or unless you're Albert Pujols, they treat you like, oh my God, how could you have done that to our guy? Our town, the only thing separating the Cardinals from consecutive World Series championships is Brendan Ryan. There you go. <laughs> Very, I mean, that's the way it is. Go get him. We need a shortstop. Actually, he signed with the Yankees. 314-880-080. We are light on our town today. Although we had a lot of stuff prepared for today. Our town, where Argentina and Bosnia-Herzegovina can come in here for an international friendly, and the primary advertising is about a player who wasn't even in the game. Ooh. That's not their fault. Injury. What? Injury. The injury happened to Lionel Messi three weeks before, four weeks before the game. And he was still the headliner on all promotions for the game, up to and including day of said game, Our Town. From the 314, only in Our Town can you find a guy wearing jorts and sandals with socks on, getting angry at you for purchasing a case of beer not made by Anheuser-Busch, referring to me as one of those. 
<laughs> Thank goodness you're one of those. <laughs> wow. Really? I, that's what the texture says? Yeah. It's, it's you know. Uh, from the 314 Art Town, where the BFIB come up with the most stupid trade proposals, and that will never happen. I think David Freeze to the Angels for Mike Trout straight up is a legitimate trade proposal. Yeah. Art <laughs> Town, where, as I said, the word iconic is interchangeable with the word old. Hence, there was an iconic dead deer laying at the corner in downtown <laughs> intersection last year for a long time. Oh, my goodness. I don't really have, I mean... You've been asleep at the R-Town wheel here, Burwell. Yeah, well, I, I, I started it off, I thought, you know, with the fact that it's a great place to retire. I thought that was a good thing. From sounds of things today, yeah, but you've, also, you've already reached retirement here. <laughs> it, but also, St. Louis did drop to number eight in the ten most dangerous cities to live in America. So like, so, like Missouri, like Missouri's recruiting. Serious? We're going. Yes, I'm serious. Yeah. Oh man, I missed that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You know, you know, you know what number one was though. Well, it's always been East St. Louis, <laughs> Illinois, other, other other side of the pond. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's on their side of the river. Competition not... is good. I mean, you know, they, you know, St. Louis has to dial up its game now, so you know, they can't get complacent. No, I, I missed that. I can't yeah, believe it. Absolutely. What happened to, like, Flint and Richmond? They're still there. I, a couple of Michigan cities were in there. Flint was still in there. But uh, East St. Louis was number one. St. Louis, Louis was kind of came over the clouds. They weren't even in the top ten before this year. Well, that's impressive that uh, we fall into number eight. you got to step up your recruiting game. I tell you what. I mean, you got we got to have talked about the pollsters. i got to get the computers involved on this one. <laughs> that's, well, pretty soon is it going to become a four-city playoff? I think we have to expand it to eight eight cities if uh, if if our town is number eight. You know, I could just take that all the way and say, is it an eight city instead of a playoff? Is it an eight city stab off? How does that work? I don't know. I th- we need to get the police chief on one day. We had the the, the lady who's the director of uh, Lambert Hooterville. I mean, we need to get the police chief yeah, on one to day to respond to the front page treatment in uh, the New York Times. Absolutely, color again, photograph top of the fold. Outsiders coming in and maligning our town. How dare they? Absolutely, and he was from, and he was a Kansas City-based writer too. Uh, See? Enough said. Yeah, this is all a conspiracy. I don't know about you guys. We need to wrap up our town here. I think the George socks and sandals buying the AB non-AB beer is one of those might be the winner. That, that could be. That was pretty aggressive. Yeah. I think that's the one we're going to hand out. That is going to be it. That is going to be our winner for our town. That is our text of the day from the 314. Only in our town can you find a guy wearing jorts and sandals with socks on getting angry at you for purchasing a case of beer not made by AB, referring to me as one of those. We know you're in high demand, Ken, but we wanted to have you on because of the bow tie you'll be wearing tomorrow during the game. It, it obviously means a lot to you. It means a lot to us here. Uh, Joe Strauss's daughter, Alexis Strauss, is here in studio with us. Can you describe She's our intern. the bow tie you'll be wearing tomorrow and the inspiration for it? Sure. First of all, hello, Alexis. And I can't believe you're following this path. Your dad would be appalled by that. <laughs> <But> anyway, <laughs> um, the bow tie is for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And I've actually worn it before. It's been on the Bowtie Causes roster for as long as I've worn the Bowties, I think, several years. And it's for that research foundation and the society, and it basically represents them. And obviously, given what happened with Joe and what Craig Sager is going through, it has special meaning this year. 
and actually forever more, really, for me, because of what Joe experienced. So I asked the people in Cincinnati who won the Bowtie Cause at the start of the year, I said, hey, when we go to St. Louis, please put this one down for that day. And they did. They were always really good about stuff like that. And it's just to honor his memory, and I miss him terribly. So that's the whole genesis of it, and I'll be thinking about him today. I was thinking about him in spring training when I was in Jupiter. Actually, I think about Joe pretty much every day. Ken, we got a chance to, to catch up with you when you're in town for, for Joe's service. What is it, you know, you said you, you think about him every day. What will you? What is his legacy? What will you remember um, about about Joe? What should What should we remember about him? Well, actually, for me, it's more a professional legacy. Even though we were friends, I think about, hey, how would Joe attack this particular issue? How would he go about this? And it's kind of a daily, hey, kick yourself in the butt today because your friend would have been doing that, and let's go. And it's more that than anything. I mean, obviously, we had a lot of laughs together in Baltimore some tears too <laughs> not real tears but um that's it's, it's more that than anything guys it's a professional inspiration because he was fearless and he was someone who i admired both when i worked with him and worked i guess alongside him in our latest roles and i just like the way he went about it i love the way he went about it he every day was a new day and every day he was going to go out and try to find out something that people didn't know that would be interesting to them. And that kind of is how I try to do it as well. Uh, and I'll say this, Ken, about, about Joe Strauss, the great late Joe Strauss. Uh, you know, Alexis knew him better than anybody. You guys all knew him professionally. I really only knew him as a St. Louisan reading the paper online uh, for, for many years there, uh, and, and it was just a real treat almost every day to, to go to the website and read something that Joe would write, because he knew the game, and, and we say this all the time on the show, and, and Derek carries the torch here in regards to uh, making St. Louis a great and smart baseball town by the way the journalists cover baseball in St. Louis, and, 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 for, and that's been happening for you know, generations, and Joe Strauss was was clearly a big part of that, a big part of my life in in my twenties and thirties. And I guess the, my point is, can you just put into words uh, his coverage of St. Louis and the Cardinals, and 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 what what impressed you? Well, it's really simple, and I agree with everything you said. Joe knew the game, and when you have that starting point, Derek is the same way. It gives you an edge because you know what to ask. And that was the key with Joe. And when LaRusso was the manager here, which was the case during most of Joe's years in St. Louis, he needed someone at the paper who could challenge the manager and who could match wits with him and be on his level with regard to the way the game was played, approached, and all that. Joe brought that. And I know some people in all cities, don't ever like to hear anything bad about their team. They prefer cheerleaders. Well, that's not what we do. And it's certainly not what Joe did. And it's not that he was out to get the team, but he was out to reveal what the heck was going on. And that was what he did so well. And I used to enjoy so much. I wasn't around that much. Obviously, I cover all 30 teams, and I've gotten around the Cardinals more than others because of their success. But... Watching Joe and LaRusso was a total treat just from an entertainment perspective because these were two strong-willed men, both quite facile with the language, and both 
very smart, and it was something to see. Hey, Tim, I mean, if this is going to take the show off the rails, just slap me down. But <laughs> when, 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 Cat, when Cat was gone, you and Doug and I think a random third person, maybe Marlo, <laughs> were in here. And I did bring up the Dan Caesar column in which he referred to the FSM infomercial about Ballpark Village. And Cat was not here either to defend his enterprise or himself about what was written. I was just wondering what what Cat's take was on that fine piece of journalism by by Caesar. Dan Caesar is a coward. Um, Oh, boy, we get personal right off the bat. Oh, he did. You know, he didn't mention, well, I was with some executive. He didn't want to bring Dan Farrell into it. I was interviewing Dan Farrell. This is a cardinal thing. This is part of our deal is that we we do a a broadcast from the Champions Club trying to promote it. Um, He didn't write that because, you know, usually he's great with all the details that are pertinent to put it in good context. Uh, That was the highest rated game to date. Of, uh, of the season for Fox Sports Midwest. So apparently it didn't really get in the way. Of, you don't think that's cause and effect, though, do you? No, I'm just saying it's no, happened to be. I'm just saying this, this were some of the trimmings that, uh, you know, we, that we do in, in partnership with the Cardinals. And he kept saying uh, they were assigned to do this. Well, we were assigned. This is our deal with the Cardinals. Who assigned us? So well, it technically is an infomercial. It is trying to promote it, but it, it's around the game, which is the main thing. And it's really not something that we do on our own. We do it in partnership with the Cardinals. So, And, and it's the same thing. Again, context, it's the same thing that KMOX does. But he didn't reference that. And it's the same thing a lot of teams do in partnership with their let, broadcast let me, partners. I will, I will ask you a legitimate question. I know I'm shaking the beehive here a little bit, but I have wondered it because the whole Ballpark Village thing has kind of become like the default drop on the show. Contractually, are, are you all mandated to mention the village a certain number of times during the game? I don't think so. What, do, what would you think? I, don't, you, I mean, I've never been told to mention it a certain amount of time. I understand. And, again, I'm only asking because I sincerely wondered it one night. How many times – what do you think the over-under is on – and recognizing that y'all studios are part of Ballpark Village. What would you think the over-under is on the amount of mentions Ballpark Village gets during a typical – I have no idea. But I will say this. Part of it, I think, is that um, there's a giant screen there, and seeing fans reacting to the broadcast on the giant screen – is part of scene setting too and you know do we enjoy our our studio there yeah it's great to be there actually so you know we have a home there that we're proud of i don't know about any contractual obligations i I do know they they come back you know because that's where we do our show and that's what's surrounding us so i know on pregame and and postgame we show it a lot because that's where we're housed and it's a beautiful complex and during the game i know They'll show it. I don't get to watch the broadcast as closely because I'm usually doing stuff around the stadium. But that's part of the scene, too, is the crowd reacting because it's usually a huge crowd during Cardinals games at Ballpark Village. So, But, but, but you know, but, but getting back to the, 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 the topic at hand, which was Dan Caesar's article, he threw me under the bus. They told me to have Dan Farrell on and ask him about the deals they have going on. So I did that. And he's gone after me in the past where things where he never really got 
to the to the real issue over the the uh, Mark McGuire intro where I was just the hapless guy that they threw to who was set to interview Joe Mather as if and he kept every year he would mention my as if it was my decision which it wasn't if you've ever done television you know there's someone in your ear saying go and he just left it at that because his curiosity along along with the fact over the years where he did four different uh, articles about the changing broadcasters affecting the ratings he knew going into it chaos in the uh, booth i think yeah and uh, how it affected the ratings and at the end of one he said oh by the way there's still number two in ratings in all of major league baseball we gave him facts that ratings were down there's certain years with the olympics or whatever um that uh the ratings aren't as high across major league baseball so we gave him again context ratings were down all across baseball he ignored them. He ignored the other facts to give it some context. I do. I do think to stick that, to his premise. I do think, though, that I've, you know, and again, I'm instigating here, but I have heard a lot of people. Never do that. I have heard a lot of people mention that there does seem to be an almost over the top fetish with with BPV as opposed to what's going on within the stadium itself. And you know, it doesn't affect ratings, but I just thought it interesting. I you know, I know we talked about it in. Again, I didn't mean for it to become all serious, but no, I was a little mad because he's like and, not and, to take a shot at you know at the at them. And what but C- he took and a Caesar, shot. And he Caesar's, put it Caesar's column is actually one of the most popular th- items in the in the paper. Uh, but I do. You, you know, think he's accurate? He did a whole he did a whole column on on uh, some sports radio station. I don't remember which one, but it was recently where he didn't even have. The, the call letters of the of the radio station or the frequency. I'm not, I'm not aware of that. I, I, you know, if Dan would come on, we certainly like talked. But I think I think where he writes is interesting. I think the whole premise of a media critic is is very interesting. And I do know because you guys are so visible, y'all get a lot of a lot of play in the column. But you know, I've always give, give you all a hard time. I just didn't know when because it is kind of an infomercial. And I just didn't. I, I just was trying to let people understand. That there is a marketing element to what you do as opposed to an informational Agreed. element. Yeah, I'm not saying there's not. I have no problem with, with criticism of what we do, but I don't think he's fair at all about it. I think he has an agenda, and he leaves out details that would give stories better context intentionally well, so it fits his hashtag narrative. I will say this. I mean, I can write what I think is a good column about somebody, and because it's about them, I think they'll always feel like, well, it was incomplete. He didn't say it how I meant to say it, and... I do think sometimes, that, but you know, again, I was just, I was just mentioning. I think what the, I think y'all's production is very good. I've told you that before, but that doesn't mean I think it's seamless. Just as though you think I write a tremendous column, but sometimes if I read it, I it. believe I would. Right, exactly. So yeah, that's all I'm getting at. No, I understand that, and and again, I don't mind if it's fair, but I just cited a number of examples where he's left out details that would put it in context intentionally, and that's just off off the top of my head. So Tell there you Getting a lot of texts on the topic. Uh, 314-880-0808, Buffalo Wild Wings text inbox. You're also welcome to call in anytime you would like. The appliances counter phone lines. Uh, guys, I don't mind the ballpark village shots. It's nice to see the activity going on outside the park. Who cares? Uh, even Fox Sports Midwest is all about the sponsors. That's from PDSPO6. I have no idea what that means, but that's the name. Any business is. Right. And I, just, I'm very – here it is because unlike other radio stations – we don't have ratings. And I'm going to talk about, oh, we get a zero. We don't have ratings. And so, therefore, advertisers can't buy the station based on ratings, ad agencies. They buy it strictly on do they feel or see a tangible return from our listeners. That's the only way that they can gauge it. And that's why 
I've been very transparent with it, but every other right, KMOX to 101 to name whatever. Context, Context. and and I did tweet this out because I found it ironic that I read that article online and it was dwarfed by the clutter of these large ads surrounding that thing because everyone needs advertisers to stay. Isn't there a difference between, okay, you know what's an ad and what's a story in our paper? People see you doing the broadcast or see Al or Dan or whoever doing the broadcast and say, okay, this is the this is the game, and now we're going to commercial, and that's a commercial. And I think you know, is is journo's. Where does the rub occur when there's a commingling of the two? Yeah, I, and I I think it's a legitimate question. I know our guys, you know, the guys that make the decision believe that the games and the you know the the, the action on the field is the number one thing, and if we're doing stuff around it. We try not to make it interfere with the game. I know for them, one of the biggest things that could ever happen to go wrong would be missing one pitch. Uh, you know, they're very careful about that. And again, I'm not in the truck, or I'm, you know, I'm the lowest man on the totem pole. But I know they take that very, very seriously. And that is true. People see you because you're the on-air talent, quotation marks, and mm. and you're and you're doing the high-profile gig. So people, you know, you're the celebrity pulling it off. But as we all know, just as I answer to bosses at the paper, you answer to people at your place who are telling you what to do. And you can't say, well, I'm the talent here. I'm not doing that. You have to do it. So, you know, you know, but that's why my problem with Dan is that he uses that one thing because it's a a good way to, you know, to uh, to kind of stick it to me. He did the same thing with the Mark McGuire thing. When I'm in the, uh, where I'm in the I'm in the car, I have no idea what's I'm just I know when they say go, I go, and then doesn't do any digging around it. So I'm I'm the guy that that. I'll, made I'll be the honest. Call. I think I think Caesar's column is very entertaining. I think any critic is going to, you know, by nature, be open to criticism. I think, and I've told you this before. I think I think I think Caesar could be a lot more nasty than he is, but. Uh, you know, again, let him be nasty, but I'm saying put it in context properly. Don't ignore facts that don't meet your narrative, and I'm saying that to defend where I work and defend myself too. So, and I've, and it's not like I haven't discussed it with him before. I'm not saying anything now that I haven't said to him. We've had this discussion. Let, let me ask you. I don't this. think he's a. I don't think he's a bad guy. It's, it's on I, it. I think. I think. He has a it's narrative. Not a bad guy, he's a good guy, and and, but and it, he wants to meet the narrative, so he'll leave out things that uh, conflict with that. As talent, and Tim, I mean, I ask you this: Is I understand any time who ha- who's written about somebody has an issue of it, and we've talked about some stuff in which, you know, I'm not above saying, well, you know, I, I get your point, but when you're in the media and you're a high profile guy, is a total absence of recognition better than what you feel is unfair recognition. I mean, if there were no media critic at all in this market, do you think that would be welcomed by FSM or my, my world, my world's changed with, you know, owning business and operating the station. I, I would be fine with, and I am fine. I'm a hundred percent fine. I mean, we've been doing this thing, the cat and I together since 2004, Doug since 2007, whether people like it or not, I don't know how anybody, even if the show ended today, couldn't label the thing a success. I mean, it is. It's, it's the reason for this radio station's existence. It's the radio, reason why other radio stations have gone out of business when we left. Um, but whether people think it's quality, 
that's completely subjective, just like any host. You know, there are some hosts that aren't my cup of tea, but I acknowledge they generate revenue and they have an audience, and God bless them, but I don't have to listen to them, and, and, and they don't have to listen to me, so I don't really care on that. The only time I personally don't like something is when I know something was inaccurately reported. I've had a couple of situations uh, where people, especially people with histories that, you know, people understand the program on, uh, say things. And I wasn't asked if that was true. And then it was incomplete reporting. And so it's one thing to be critical of me. That's fine. Or our show. I, that just comes with the territory. I mean, once you've done this, you guys have done it longer than I have, but I mean, we both, all three of us have done it for a while. That comes with the territory. Do you ever enjoy it? No, but you have to understand that's the game. Once you step into the arena. And I think everybody does, even if some people, take it more personally the the issue is if things are in, uh, reported inaccurately and ha- has he done that with you i mean yes. th- there has been you know for example the infamous jack clark albert pujols column that started up what was just you know an incredibly bat crap time i wasn't even called i wasn't even called and that was surprising you know i mean this is something that dan and i have discussed privately and you know, personally, I prefer to, you know, keep things in the room, so to speak, and not address it on the air. But as an example, but I mean, I explained to him, I also explained to Roger Hensley, the, the editor of the sports section, my issue with that. There was a statement made, not from Dan, but a quote that this business didn't have $15,000, which is just, and it's not because I'm bawling so hard, but from a lot, first off, it was a quote, I wasn't asked if it was true. And then secondarily, uh, if you just from a logic standpoint, go, well, then how could it operate? And then from people who operate businesses, you know that even if a business would have financial issues, that A, there are investors, and B, businesses have lines of credit. So if there was, but that wasn't true anyway, but it was put in the newspaper and I wasn't even asked if it was accurate. And since I was in a legal situation, I couldn't be commenting on a bunch of things. So that was a difficult spot. But I mean, at the same time, I've been dealing with Dan and Dan's been dealing with me dating back to, you know, when I started at KMOV in 2000. And for the most part, you know, we have a pretty good uh, rapport. And uh, and as Joe said, um, you know, I think he's a good guy. So you know, it, like my, as far as the as far as the view goes on uh, how it goes down, uh, it my view has changed only because I'm now responsible for a business, and I'm not talking about myself. But when I view this stuff and the people who talk to me privately, I take the stuff real seriously. It's why unless something is an extreme situation. I don't want to part ways with people. It's probably a weakness. But when you have, at this point, about 40 people who receive paychecks from this company on the 15th and the 30th, I'm not just responsible for myself, my business, what we built over the last decade, but I'm responsible for those 40 people and then also their families. And that's not something that I take lightly. And so sometimes things that may seem one way to the public are not the way they are, but it's in the best interests of the business and the people who have helped make this business become whatever it is that it's become for me to take the bullet and just deal with it. And uh, I'm fine with criticism because criticism is going to come with it, and I deserve it on top of it. But You should if, be if asked things, about something. In, in those cases, that was disappointing, but in the whole scheme the of things. It, 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 here, here's the deal, though. And again, I, I get your take. I didn't, I didn't mean for this to go this far afield, but like if I'm writing something, what I do, I'm a columnist now. If I have an opinion about something, that's the primary focus of my column. It's not, you know, uh, Matt Holiday took a 3-2 pitch the opposite field for a double. I mean, and go ask the manager what he thought about the hitting approach. It's my opinion. What Dan does is an interesting mix of opinion and reporting. 
one column may be more heavily tilted to opinion. Others may be reporting. Somebody might have an issue with that. But it's kind of a unique thing to the paper. I think I think it'd be interesting to have Caesar on sometime. I would love to, I, I I'd love to do that. Uh, and it, the, the, it, again, it's such a difficult. It's a different world. And I, and I don't expect people to sympathize. The, the handful of people who operate businesses, own and operate, it's a different world. Like when that all went on, if I were just paid by Bert Kaufman, who owns this radio station, taking the jokes of me owning the radio station on the website and in the parking lot, my dad owning everything, whatever it is. Bert Kaufman's the man who owns this radio station, and he is a very good man. He's a very good man, and I, it's been a pleasure to be in business with him. Uh, it's, it's, it's allowed this thing to exist because as people have seen who have been around here for a while, there have been some intriguing characters who have owned and operated radio stations in St. Louis sports talk. And that's why they usually don't last very long. Uh, and he's a very good man. Uh, and we're coming from two different opposite ends of the, of the spectrum too. I mean, he's, you know, an older guy, I'm at least for this spot, a little younger, and uh, and we we coexist, even though I'm, you know, a creep and a pervert and he's a you know conservative, you know, religious, good human being. And I'm whatever the hell that I am. But we coexist and we have a mutual respect. And I really have enjoyed being in business with him. It's a great thing. But I'm a business partner, with, you know, running this this company. And therefore, I'm responsible for people to receive, you know, their their compensation. And so I can't go off half cocked because I'm irritated by something that's written or I know something that was written or said that's quoted is 100% factually inaccurate because if I lose my crap, I then put these people who work with me, their compensation at risk. If I would have lost my crap during that situation, and I, I did privately, I absolutely did privately, and there's so many things about it that have never gone public. Uh, the cat and Joe, I know you're aware of a lot of them, but there's a lot of stuff on that thing that was brutal, but I couldn't say anything about it because legal situation, there's so many things. There's, people, there's players that people don't even know who they are that were involved in the whole thing, but it's neither here nor there. If I would have lost it and either lost it on the radio or lost it in the newspaper just responding to what was clearly baiting material, I then put people's jobs at risk, and I can't do that. It's a tough thing, and I'm not saying by any means that it was some heroic thing at all, but it, it, that's that's the perspective when you're the person owning and operating the business. And we didn't get in this thing. I mean, you know, 920 is a lifeboat from what we knew was going to be the Titanic. And it wasn't just me and you or Joe or whomever that knew that that wasn't going to work. That wasn't like some brilliant, like, foresight. It was obvious to everybody that they knew it wasn't going to work. But the situation was a perfect storm of, you know, allowing something as, you know, ridiculous as that whole thing to even come to fruition. But our goal here isn't just to, like, have this thing and just kind of screw out the show. We have bigger goals, and I'm not going to put people's jobs at risk. And what we've built over the last 10 years with Inside STL, and in the case of this show, 11 years, by getting involved in some kind of, you know, war, whether it be with the newspaper or taking shots at people on the outside, we focus on what we can control. It's very cliche, but it's true. And getting involved in that kind of stuff while it's titillating for the public, and I'm 100% aware of that. I like that stuff, too, but it isn't in the best interest of the business, and therefore, you just take bullets. And that's why I say turning the other cheek can be the most gangster move of all, because then they can't get to you. Right. You control what you control. We control the business. Privately, the people here know what's going on, and they know it's going well, which is why I'm so grateful to the audience, because the audience makes it possible with the sponsors and with the content and the people who have helped build the thing. And so to respond to things 
or to get all worked up over something that was quoted or something that was stated that wasn't true in the midst of that in particular, or even now, is not in the best interests of the bigger goal and the greater good, but most importantly, the people who work here who rely on these checks to, to live and their family. I, I, I do want to respond to what you said, because I, I do respect you, even though it doesn't come across sometimes. I think if you wrote a column you know, on media, whatever, it'd be a little different. You said it's a mix of fact and opinion. When he was writing about the downturn in ratings based on his premise that it was a rotating broadcast booth, um, he was using numbers and ratings. It seemed like it was fact. If he would have said, I don't like it, or I wouldn't have a problem, or if he said, I don't like this, I wouldn't have a problem with it. But he was kind of couching all this as fact based on ratings, even though there were other ratings on a bigger picture across baseball that he ignored. So he was doing it as if it were a factual piece when he was leaving out a lot of the facts that put it in proper context. And again, you wouldn't write a column saying, oh, they're hemorrhaging ratings, and it's, oh, by the way, they're still number two in all of baseball, because you look at that, you go, well, how can that be? Well, there's other reasons for it that he chose to ignore. I think you would do it a little bit more fairly. Well, I'm I'm I'm, I'm moved by your uh, high opinion of me, Kevin. <laughs> it's not high; it's just higher than Dan. <laughs> oh wow! I, th- I think you should have him on, or at least invite him on. Be, I think it'd be an interesting conversation because I think there are things about what you guys do that maybe you know nuanced to him, and I think there are things that he does that are certainly nuanced to you. But again, it's it's a unique position at the paper, and whether we give each other credit for it or not in each way we are kind of quasi celebrities and it kind of makes us exposes us for for criticism or critique and which is again which is fine yeah but, but we say context. that we say that but i don't know if we actually believe it if somebody takes a shot at me because of my height or my hairline or something like that or I, your attitude or my attitude well I, I accept that part but you know i think you know it, it cuts to, you know there have been things said when i came off the beat and, and, and it started doing the column, which I've been pressing to do for years. People, some people have, you know, went on our own website and, and blasted me for getting demoted. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but that comes whether you get killed. But on that's Twitter. what I'm, we, that's we, what I'm we saying. We get killed on this show every single but day. I'm, I'm not saying. immune to criticism. It's we kind of within killed. the forum, though, that when you're in the media, you probably take an inordinate amount of shots, fair or not. And that that part has been fine. The different it's just a different spot. And like I said, I don't know. And maybe I I, I don't know. It's it's a different spot when it, it's and I don't view it necessarily because that column does play a large role in what people think because it is the only gateway, so to speak, mediator, whatever the road I'm looking for, uh, medium between you know what we're doing and the public. And I always people go, oh, but nobody, nobody cares about it. But then you look at it, and it's always the most read column because it's kind of like gossip, on right? Yeah. Absolutely. And I, and again, I have. If you get into this, you have to be willing to accept that stuff. And getting ripped is part of the game. If there are things that are said that are not accurate, that's and this goes to just discussing things with people on a message board. It's my same principle: rip away. The show is this show is so stupid for lack of a better term that how could people not criticize it and if you're tuning in even right now and you're going god i want to hear about the cardinals coming back and winning and they're the only station in town doing sports at this hour local sports this sucks 
I get it. And people don't like necessarily my whatever views on sex or religion or politics or whatever the case might be. And so they don't like me or they don't like the cat's view on those topics. And so they don't like it. Whatever that comes with the territory. It's if something is represented as fact that isn't true. But that that's that's and that's a very clear line to me. But, you know, Dan and I. Since this company took over, you know, ownership of the show and recently operating the radio station over the last couple of years, have had a pretty good relationship and a good back and forth regarding things, you know. But I, I, I mean, I read, when I read that last week, the cat, I knew that was going to be, you know, yeah. And a I problem. was asked about it. It's not like I came on, you know, ready to go. But you asked me, I'm going to be honest about it, and, and, and that's I'll how be, I feel. And I'll be honest because I do think you guys, despite what I might lead folks to believe sometimes i do think the production at fsm and the presentation of cardinals games is among the best of any regional networks that do baseball and i watch a lot of it but i i do i also confess that part of it is my background i and it's not just fsm it's a lot of a lot of uh, entities similar entities the 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 commingling of the presentation of the game and servicing the sponsors, it, it really is getting. I mean, the crossover is much more now than I think it was ten years ago, and that may be true. And and if if it's couched, you know, in that way that this is my opinion and here's why, that's fine. And again, you can't be on this show and have a, and have thin skin. You would, you know, we couldn't survive. We get killed all the time. So I'm used to this. What I'm saying is, in my opinion. Coming from a guy, if you think Fox Sports Midwest does a, a good job with the broadcast, there has been a lot of negative com- uh, columns from that guy as if you know he has an agenda where he's not a fan, which is fine. State your opinion. But the way he's done it, I think, has been dishonest because he doesn't put things in context. He doesn't check on things. He doesn't try to get to the, the root of why something was done. He just puts it out there, and I think that's wrong. Well, I, I, you know, again – I I have never heard of a media entity having love for the media critic, and if they do, there's probably something wrong. And, again, if it's based on what, what you say is is inaccuracy, I think obviously that's an issue, and that's for you guys right, to and we, I, We've talked about it. It's not like I'm coming on right, here and, and right. sliming him. I, I, whenever I see him, I bring it up. You can ask him. Uh, let's see. we got a bunch of texts and a bunch of phone calls on the topic uh, coming in left and right. Uh, these discussions about the business are fascinating and some of my favorite segments. Love the show, love you, and the subs. Lust for Doug. That's from the 618. Uh, let's see. I have a jock edge applicator in the shape of Doug Vaughn's chin. That's not so even sometimes, here. That's sometimes, not your of the conversation. Sometimes these come in and I think they're going to be, but they're not. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, Joe, what do you say about the commingling of fact and opinion in articles? That's from the Southern Illinois Hole Ponder. Well, it depends. If it's a column, it's expected. That's why it's labeled a column. If it's a news story... You know, people have an issue with it. And that's why people sometimes have issues with what they perceive as slanted headlines or headlines that don't reflect the, the balance of the story. Those are legit criticisms. Uh, what about, and, what about and, and again, you don't know all the facts that I'm discussing, but what about a column which is fact-heavy but intentionally leaves out other facts that would A column is, in essence, opinion. And if you disagree with the opinion because he doesn't like it, somebody doesn't like uh doesn't like a team, doesn't like an entity, you know, and you dismiss it as, I think that guy's opinion sucks. 
But uh, he was couching it as here are the facts, here are the numbers, while leaving out other numbers that put it in context that it was something that but was But again, wrong. if I'm writing a column, that's my purview. If I want to slant yeah, it I, to support my – you know, you can say it's a, it's a crappy column, and that's fine, but that's different from writing it as a – as a news story and fact basing it, and we disagree. If, if, if yeah, you're did, trying to if, if you're trying to couch it as here are the hard numbers and you're leaving some out intentionally because they don't fit your hashtag narrative. Well, that's somebody dishonest. can say this player sucks, and he and you and you present numbers to support that premise and omit other numbers that might support that this player. Well, he he doesn't really suck. He's maybe in a bad bad spot right now. That that happens in a lot of arenas, and I've had. Uh, you know, I see it happen all the time. But you, there's a reader or a consumer of media. You have to recognize that this guy is giving an opinion. He's not writing a news story. And I've had columns written that, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, I, I said, ah, there probably could have been a better headline put on that because I know this is going to And break. you guys do not write the headlines. I think that's that's something that you take for granted, That, but the public no, doesn't know. But, again, because I covered the Cardinals a long time, I still have people say, oh, Strauss, crappy reporting job on this on this story. And it's a column. I'm giving an opinion. So there is a different slant on what you're doing, column versus uh, news story. And uh, there, there are things I've seen Dan write, and, you know, I've told him this to his face, that I wish he would emphasize more within his, within his column. Because I think there's a lot of interesting things, including what goes on with this station, with this, with the, with Tim's enterprise, that I think deserve higher visibility, and it's not because I'm an integral part of the the scene. Because a, I'm not. I just think that this enterprise has legs within this market and deserves greater play. That's just my opinion. My opinion might be BS, but again, uh, I think what Dan does is a little bit different than what, say, Derek Gould does reporting on the Cardinals, Jeremy on the Blues. Sure. I, I, I don't know if anybody – I mean, I'm mean, i sure there probably are people who may not understand or get that. But, yeah, I, I, no, no question about that. Yeah. No question about that. And I also that. think Justice Cat, who's emotionally invested in what he does, is sensitive to criticism about that. You know, I think, I think we're all – you know, we're all human beings. And if somebody says, I think Strauss sucks – you know, I don't like to Again, hear that. I, I get that, and and, and I, I agree with that. But I'm saying is that if a guy is dishonest about it I don't and think, doesn't give the full picture, I don't think Dan is dishonest. I, I think I think there are things what? I think there are things about his job uh, that, that are unique are unique in that he has other responsibilities at the paper. So he didn't have time to put it in context. I'm just saying his job is he's an editor as well as a columnist. It's, it's a hybrid deal. And again, I, I get to your point. I think we as media entities or quote celebrities, not a celebrity. Yeah, you are. Whether you want to be or not, uh, you know, you have to be calloused. And I've learned. I've learned. It's hard. It's a hard lesson for me, but I've had to learn it too, especially since I've become a columnist. I have. I have a, a guy who calls in here, or used to call in here, who wanted to come to the parking lot and stab me. Right. I mean, yeah, totally understandable. Yeah, it, I mean. <laughs> We, I mean, there was a guy who would call in. We're used to that. We all get that. You know, we're we're all calloused. I'm saying, if there's another media guy who's going to give his opinion, make it opinion, but don't couch the facts and leave some out if it doesn't fit what uh, you're trying to write about. That's all. Tony Larusa uh, is aware of that. He has gotten up awfully early on the West Coast to join us and talk it over regarding. Um, Joe Strauss here on the Ryan Kelly Morning After. Tony, good morning. 
Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you and Joe had such a unique relationship, but the reason why I think it was such a good relationship, even though you had to do battle at times, was because there was a great mutual respect there. Is that an accurate characterization? Well, I definitely grew into that. And uh, before we get started, I definitely want to just heard your uh, comment that Dan and Alexis are listening and uh, just personally want to express great sadness and uh, tremendous support for both of them. It's a very difficult uh, time, and and uh, you know we we all feel for their loss. So uh, you know my heart goes out to both of them. I'm glad they're listening. But uh, yeah, it, uh, you know I think it's 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 uh, you know ironic. Joe joined us in 2002, the most difficult year of all, which was the uh, Daryl Kyle and Jack Buck year, and. Uh, and over the time, you know, through 2011, uh, it, it was a relationship that, uh, you know, started out kind of at more than arm's length because, you know, the media is, uh, is, is, has got to try to get in and find out about your ball club. Sometimes things that you really don't want them to find out. And, yeah, but over the years, I uh, really appreciated uh, Joe is very unique. I think he was uh, the most classic combination of old school, you know, Rick, Rick Hummel type where loved the game, really knows the game, uh, wanted to do everything he could to uh, have the fans enjoy it as well. But still, these are you know these are different times. You know, the uh, the editors and producers and radio, TV, they all think that uh, you know controversy is. The most compelling, so you know there's a lot of pressure to try to to get an edge to your reporting, and uh, you know Joe is, I think, the very best at balancing those things. Tony, uh, thanks for for getting up and and being part of this this morning. As you got to know Joe Strauss along the way, did you find out a lot of things? I mean, in the beginning, because we, we've talked about on this show, he was a kind of a private guy who didn't like to make it about him. Did did you find out about Joe the person along the way, and if so? Uh, what did you What did you discover? Well, it was obvious when he first came to town. You know, he's really smart and he's got a gift for for writing and the way he communicated. Uh, you know, very special, very very talented, as talented as anybody. But over the years, uh, you know, I, I think the uh, just the best kind of way. You know, just uh, the hard way because you know we had our tussles. You know, he'd want to talk about stuff that I didn't want to talk about our team and. Uh, so uh, around so often, so long, and uh, went through so much that uh, really uh, got uh, more personal with Joe than uh, than would be the normal case for uh, you know manager and and someone that's a writer or covers the club, and realize uh, Joe had a, a really warm side, uh, mostly expressed when he would talk about his wife and. And daughter, uh, uh, you know, he loved the game of baseball, loved the game of golf, uh, but he had an awareness of uh, of the greater, you know, the greater world. You know, it wasn't just our little uh, little piece of it, which was you know professional baseball. I mean, you could tell when he became a columnist, you could see a lot of his uh, awareness just generally about life and and people. But I think the thing that uh, 
appreciated the most was he was very honest. Uh, uh, to go with that smartness, and uh, uh, and I used to kid him, and I think you know he kind of gave me that look where uh, you know, you're not supposed to know that, but I, I realized you know he's really a sweetheart. Not many people saw that. And Tony, you you mentioned golf. I think recently, maybe it was at one of Albert Pujols' charity events or Mike Matheny's. I can't remember which, but I I believe you guys were in the same foursome there, right? What was what was that like? uh, Kind of experiencing, uh, you know, hanging out and talking with Joe after you guys were no longer in the heat of battle in in terms of you being the manager and he the beat writer. That's a really good example because that's you know, when you play golf, like in Albert's, you know, it's, it's, there's so many people playing, you know, like six hours and, and, you know, we had this running conversation where Joe would tell me about playing in college and high school and how good he was. And I, and I told him there's no chance. And then one year we were, uh, we were looking for an A player. And I said, you know, we're looking for an A player. You know, anybody he says, you're looking at him. I said, there's no way. He said, well, you know, just like you've heard over the years, just give me a chance, coach. I said, I'll tell you what, you know, this is a, we're, we're going to be competing. If you're not any good after that first tee, you're going to ask you to leave. And, he, and you know, so we, that's how it started. You know, we had a really good group. Uh, you know, Ed Curtis, a good friend, would put the group together. And, and Joe was an A player. And the whole time, you know, you know we, had, we had a lot of fun. And uh, everybody got a chance to see the uh, sense of humor and the, uh, I want to say it again, the sweetheart quality that uh, Joe brought to the, the, to the uh the program i would imagine because you used to use the the word dig me uh that wasn't your cup of tea when guys were dig me there was none of that with joe strauss and i would imagine that's something you appreciated well there's a lot of things i appreciate about him you know and uh yeah i know yesterday when uh you know finally heard that uh you know the his tough times were over you just start really unloading on everything that you that you remember about him and uh, I think, as I say, he's very talented. Uh, but you know, he had he had a humility there. I mean, he, there are some. Well, not to get into it, but there are some people in, in all professions that will walk around like you're very lucky to get to know them or be around them. And uh, Joe was never part of that. Tony Larusa, kind enough to join us here on the Ryan Kelly morning after uh, the, the way that you guys were able to navigate the relationship um, was something to uh, really observe and appreciate also. And I think that that's one of the reasons why uh, when we had Ken Hitchcock on uh, in the eight o'clock hour here locally, Tony, uh, he said that Joe didn't believe in hero worship as in individuals, but he did believe he thought in team worship and he had a great admiration for you and the way you were able to create the successful teams and teams so different with so many different circumstances over years. You cite 2002 and how unique and tragic that season was, uh, the world championship year of 2006 and how that was so different versus the team that many consider to be the best team that you had, one of the best teams of all time in Cardinal history, the 2004 team. And Joe was fascinated not on what happened necessarily, but why it happened, and I think that uh, critical thinking is why he stands out, perhaps, versus others who are simply just covering it with the the statistics. And and, and perhaps that might be why you guys had that mutual respect. Uh, well, that's very articulate, man. And I think you've you've hit on something very special. Um, uh, I. I 
you know, there is a tendency, and a lot of it is not, uh, uh, what's, what's the word, not uh, the fault of the people that cover our club. It's just the immediacy of, of, of got, got to get it done now and go on. Uh, there's so much happens, and it happens over a long season, whether it's hockey or basketball, football, whatever it is, especially in our sport, that there's a tendency for people that cover the club to to cover it on a very superficial level. You know, they want they got to get a quick answer. They write or talk about it, and then they go on. Uh, that never satisfied Joe, and I think that was part of his great. I'm talking about great, sincerely great talent. Uh, he was always going to get to that next level or levels of what was happening and why. And uh, and I really believe that uh, you know sometimes by the way that going to that next level you know he would stir a little scab there and get some blood going because it's, <laughs> you know, there's, it, this is real life you know not every this isn't fantasy island you're playing in but I really think that uh, what he brought the reader and he did you know he did radio and the listener he brought them a depth of of understanding about what was going on and. You had to be smart, and you had to know the game uh, like he knew it. You know, he had a great background coming up through his life, and you know, the places that he worked. Uh, it's legendary what his what his resume was. So, uh, I just think that's probably the very best point that you can make as far as on the professional level. Joe was very deep, uh, and when you when you want, when you have that searching for, uh, you know, tell tell more about what really is happening than just the headline. I think the beneficiary is all the people that read and listened to him. So there it is, so much there, and really kind of a time capsule. Like Doug does his flashback on Sports Sunday and KMOV. It was kind of a flashback of sorts. And I would imagine those of you who have listened to all of that content are going, man, I really miss that guy. And you might have, when he was alive, been driven up the wall by some of his opinions or some of his tweets because he enjoyed poking the beehive with some of his opinions and some of his tweets. But I did, it's, it's, it's the thing that I always say is he was a voice of credible dissent. Credible dissent. Anyone can create a Twitter account and complain about the powers that be. Uh, and these days with radio, if you have a little bit of money in your checking account... You can have a radio show. Now, you don't necessarily tell people that's how you have a radio show, but trust me, that's how you have a radio show. Uh, a lot of people do anyway, not everybody. And uh, and then you can sit there and attack people and hope that your attacks will get you attention, and then you can actually have a radio career. Well, Joe had something on the line. Joe did have a radio career. Joe did have a column with the Post-Dispatch. Joe was the Cardinal Beat reporter for a long time. Joe did cover the Baltimore Orioles with uh, Ken Rosenthal uh, years ago. Uh, Joe did cover the Atlanta Braves. Joe was credible, and Joe still would dissent. And in St. Louis, something that he would call a balloon party or rights holder Macarena or whatever, the nature of the beast is that many of the times the media are fans as well, and so you don't have a lot of dissent. And I think we miss it. Uh, so, you know, if when the Cardinals win a game and you have 20 guys tweeting out about how happy they are they won the game, Joe Strauss would never be one of those guys. Now, maybe he was happy they won, but he felt like that wasn't the way for him to go about doing his job as a columnist. Uh, so that's why I say credible dissent, and it's missed. Plus, the reality is, for as acerbic as he could be, 
uh, on Twitter, on the shows. He was a great, great guy. A great guy who probably didn't want anybody to know he was a great guy because it would kind of ruin the public song and dance. But I'm telling you, he was a great guy. And we're looking forward to honoring this great guy with the inaugural Joe Strauss Golf Tournament coming up on Monday, April 16th. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you to the Seamaster and to Nick Yale for putting the whole thing together. Seamaster on the audio end, Nick on the video end. And thank you to Alexis Strauss for captaining the ship to make this inaugural Joe Strauss Memorial Golf Tournament possible. Uh, and thank you, of course, to our sponsors, Ryan Kelly, the thehomeloanexpert.com, and James Carlton of James Carlton State Farm Insurance uh, for sponsoring our program. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the thehomeloanexpert.com studios. 